It's nice that we have a quorum, but we're not actually taking any action tonight, correct? That is correct. Okay. I'll go one notch farther, but I was going to announce it later. <clears throat> During the work session, we'll be, we will not be taking public comment, just so that people are aware of that. But again, you stole my thunder and put me up in front of it as opposed to later. But thank you, Tim. <clears throat> Next item on the agenda. No, stop. Unless there's any other public comment, <laughs> I'll close the public comment session for now. Moving on to the next item on the agenda, the approval of minutes of November 2nd, 2023. Commissioners, any corrections, deletions, additions, subtractions? If not, I move we approve the minutes from November 2nd, 2023. Thank you, Brian. I second. Thank you, Linda. Any discussion on the motion? Hearing none, all those in favor, please signify by saying yes. 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 Opposed saying no. Motion is carried, minutes are approved. <clears throat> the next item, consent agenda. Unless there are any questions specific to the matter under consent agenda, chair will entertain a motion. So moved. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor, please signify by saying yes. Yes. Opposed yes. say no. Motion is carried. Next item on the agenda, the reason we are all here. Joint work session. Christy, I think you need to move on and start this now. Well, thank you for uh, delegating me on that. Um, I just want to thank everybody for being here to discuss the code <coughs> amendments um, that we have scheduled tonight. Um, I just want to address the public comment. Um, this is scheduled as a work session. Um, and through this process, there'll be plenty of opportunity to receive <coughs> written um, or public comments during our next scheduled public meetings. Um, if anybody does have comments on what is discussed tonight, um, they can get in touch with me and provide um, your comments to me and I'll make sure that uh, that is shared with you all. Really what we're looking for tonight is some direction and this is an opportunity to discuss some key points um, through the process um, as we are drafting module two and module three. Um, of the code update process. I have Jessica and Riley with us. They're over Zoom and they are gonna walk us through the presentation which correlates with the memo, uh, the detailed memo that you all have, which um, we have some discussions and questions for you all and we're interested to get your feedback on. So I'm going to put it over to Jessica to get started. <coughs> Thank you so much, Christy. Um, we are excited to be with you tonight. Sorry that we are not in person and have to join you via Zoom, um, but we are really eager to get your feedback as we move into um, the final drafting phases of the code update. Um, Riley Timmons and I are gonna give the presentation tonight. I'm gonna turn it over to her to start off um, so we can dig right in. Thank you, Jessica. 
So as Christy mentioned, we're really providing a high level background and overview for folks who may be new to this discussion this evening before touching base briefly on recent community engagement findings before digging into module two updates, which include um, questions for the Board of County Commissioners and Planning Commission on zoning PUDs, house and secondary dwelling unit dimensions and land uses, including some others before digging into and closing out um, with the discussion and next steps. So the code drafting process has been separated into different modules in order to address updates to code sections that have been highlighted by the master plan and by staff in 2022 as being priorities. Module one was primarily focused on establishing regulations for solar energy, overlay districts and agencies, and these were adopted earlier this fall um, in 2023. All right. We've been working with staff, working group, key government stakeholders, the Housing Authority and CSU Extension to really dig in and gain direction on the next phases of work in this module two and module three. Um, primarily this evening, we'll be focusing on zone districts, land uses and planned unit development. As we've been working through the code sections, it's become clear that putting forward a consolidated draft with the remaining code sections for module two and module three for review would really be the clearest and most efficient way to bring consistency, consolidation, um, and allow for the board members to really see everything in one package, um, including all of the different cross-references across chapters to make sure that everything is in alignment. The community engagement process has really been the foundation to our work over this past year with over 16 different activities. We've worked with the public through stakeholder workshops. We've worked with closely with our technical working group. We've worked with staff through several work sessions um, and more public facing engagement with community pop-ups and workshops, um, which have been supplemented with our online engagement through Navigate Your Route with our surveys that correspond to the different modules. So we asked a series of questions in our most recent module two survey, um, the findings of which are included in appendix A in the packet. Um, but we did wanna run through some several high level findings that inform our discussion this evening. So when we asked participants about workforce housing, how it should be regulated and governed, Community members really, as you can see, provided a spectrum of answers with a slight majority leaning towards workforce housing being allowed by right in all zone districts or being allowed by right in most zone districts. Participants were also really interested in finding an avenue for administrative adaptive reuse standards with public hearings through the Historical Preservation Commission if the standards were to be modified. Community members felt really strongly um, about prohibiting development within 50 feet of a hazardous area. And when we began to ask about planned unit developments, community members were most interested 
and seeing provision of utilities, including water and sewer, in order to minimize impacts to services and provide community benefit. The majority of participants through the workshop and through the survey as well, were really concerned about potential impacts to um, specific to natural hazards, critical wildlife impacts, and water body setbacks and floodplains. And our engagement also uncovered the support of a housing cap size. So participants were most interested in limiting house size based on a sliding scale, followed by a countywide cap, and then additionally, a sliding scale based on design criteria. So all of this community engagement really set up our slides and kind of questions for you all this evening. And with that, I'll hand it over to Jessica to lead us into discussion on zoning planned unit developments. Thanks, Riley. Um, so Riley's mentioned, and you can see on the screen, the items that we're um, planning to talk with you tonight and get your feedback on. I did wanna highlight that we do have a second work session anticipated later this month on December 21st to dig into some of the specifics related to the natural environment, natural hazards, as well as um, subdivisions. So we know that those are really important topics and we're hoping to get your feedback on those later this month. So I will start with um, zone districts as our first topic. Um, as we move forward, we are proposing a consolidation of zone districts. And so there's a few charts that I'm gonna show on the next um, slides. Um, on the left are the current existing zone districts and on the right are how we're proposing to consolidate those. So you can see that a number of zone districts are proposed to be consolidated. Um, on the top line, for instance, um, agricultural conservation, agriculture forestry, as well as most mining areas are proposed to be consolidated into agriculture forestry zone districts. Um, similarly, on that fourth line, high density residential, medium density residential, and low density residential, um, because they're, they're fairly similar, are all proposed to become just one zone district as high density residential. So you can see we're trying to simplify as best as we can, as well as implement the ideas in the master plan around the locations and type of growth that are most appropriate. Um, and I think the other piece is just to make the zone district map and the regulations a little bit easier to understand. It is important to have nuance within your different zone districts, um, but Route County has quite a few and um, we really recommend this, this consolidation. Um, this slide illustrates some of the new zone districts that are proposed as part of the tier two and tier three growth areas. Um, we will get into the details of these in the next section, so I'm not going to spend too much time here, um, but I will highlight that we are proposing a new uh, zone district for the tier three areas that are historic communities. Um, that would be a new zone district, two new zone districts for stagecoach, and then we would have two overlays. So this is a little bit different than what we came to you with um, in our last meeting together um, or work session together in the late summer, early fall, where we were anticipating everything in tier two and tier three would have an overlay. So this is this is a different direction overlay just for a portion of tier three and then the airport overlay um, would stay the same. 
Um, a few notes about dimensions. We would anticipate similar dimensions as exist today in the zone districts. Um, and that includes a 40 foot height limit with the ability to potentially increase in the stagecoach area, which again, I'll get into in the next section. Um, and then we would anticipate having the same lot size triggers for sewer service. So a five acre requirement would, would remain. Um, so at this point, um, have maybe two questions for you. The first is, um, we've set this presentation up to pause after each section to get your feedback. Um, and I wanna make sure that that works for, uh, for the group. And if so, we'll move into this question that's on the screen. And if not, we can go through the presentation um, just in one big chunk. <clears throat> Uh, Tim, only because you're sitting next to me. Comments? You know, I'm curious about the con the consolidation of the agriculture, conservation, agriculture, forestry. What was the thought behind that? Um, so our agricultural um, conservation is um, essentially it's, it's not even used. Um, I mean, it's something um, we have had in our zoning district and we're just looking to consolidate districts that we no longer use. Is there any land that's zoned that? No. Not a single parcel. Okay. If you want to turn a bit more background, the minimum lot size is 160 acres, which as we all know, you can split down to 35 acres without um, County review. And so if you were zoned agriculture conservation and then you split down to below 35 acres, you've caused a zoning issue. So it's kind of a weird district to have. It's clean up. Yeah, absolutely. So on a similar note, the, is there any, was there or is there non conforming MRE? Oh, there's lots. As of a zoning? Yes. Lots of it. Yeah. Um, Essentially all the <coughs> subdivisions along County Road 14, uh, adjacent to Dakota Ridge. Okay. Uh, those are all five acres um, platted before we had zoning. Oh. So then their status becomes conforming? Um, no, can't. Well, it's conforming in the sense that it conforms to the zone district it's put into. We certainly wouldn't be creating any more of it. It's more just that it would have more appropriate setback standards than just saying, oh, like if you have a one acre parcel and it's owned MRE and you have 50 foot setbacks all the way around, you might have no developable area in the center of it because the 50 feet encumbers the entire property. Right. So we've ran into that a couple of times and it's like, well, maybe we should have a zone district with standards instead of giving everyone the whole subdivision variance. Gotcha. Okay. Question on the determination of how you uh, consolidated high, medium, and low density residential just to high especially with uh, the tier three and stagecoach being basically a high residential and where we want it, why would you consider it to be high instead of medium? So that is kind of gonna be guided more by the subdivision standards. We currently have, when, when you are gonna split, if you're thinking of splitting property in the county, we look at whether or not it's in a growth area. And so stagecoach would be a tier two, for example. In areas that are like that, it, it would the subdivision standards would say that a, like a, a split could be done. In other places where you have low or medium density and 
let's say they did have enough area for a high density split, but they're not in a growth area, we would say the subdivision standards would not allow you to split it. So the dimensional standards like setbacks, height, every, basically everything except minimum lot size between all these three districts are all the same. And so they, they were originally applied, I think, with some amount of eye towards where density is and isn't wanted, but you can control that based on existing platting and then whether or not you're going to allow a split versus a consolidation, if that makes sense. They're also in areas that already have water and sewer um, and they're already slated for high density. Um, so that would be another reason why. It happens to all of those places that are not served by water and sewer. So that's, that's a great question because if you have a place like Steamboat Lake where there is no water and sewer and they're never gonna be able to get it there, the low density residential that's currently there is not usable. And if it was rezoned to HDR as proposed, it would continue to be exactly the same as it is. The only option in that case is to rezone towards MRE to get to five acres and then develop. So the, the tiers of those zone districts don't aren't really functioning the way they need to anymore. And they can all be in one district because they all have the same setbacks. And then the split or consolidation is guided by other things. If I understand the mining district goes away, was that utilized, for example, back in 2008 with, with all of the fracking wells? Were, were each of those no. sites um, utilized under a mine? No, those all came through as special use permits, which is the same process and um, as, as it is today and what would be proposed through the code amendments. So really no implication by, in essence, doing, that, doing away with the mining district. Yeah. No. So the those mining dis most of the mining districts were put in place in 1972 when there were active surface mines out in the county. All of those mines are done and have been reclaimed, and the zoning still is there. Um, the only the only area of the county that has an active mine that is zoned mining is the is 20 Mile, the the portal right at the County Road 27 and 33 intersection. Um, the Sage Creek mine north of North on 27, where the roundabout was built, that was approved through a special use permit. So, uh, so it's agriculture forestry with that special use permit. So the, the, it says one active mine will retain that mining zone and that's the, the portal for 20 mile. So if someone had a, discovered a lithium deposit, for instance, they'd be able to uh, exploit that through a SUV. special use. Okay. Correct. I suppose I should know this answer. Is mining restricted to AF zone only? Yes. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah. Um, so stage coach outdoor recreation um why do we need a zone district for that could that uh activity not be accomplished through our existing sup process um it could um i mean as of right now somebody could come through with a special use permit um for <coughs> a for a golf course or for recreation oriented type development. Um, however, in the Stagecoach Community Plan, we have the future land use map that designates those large parcels 
um, for recreation-oriented development. That was the um, title that was given through that sub-area plan. Um, so we are trying to mirror that through zone districts to support that kind of use, which would be a mixed-use type development with the recreation, but also residential and density as it was um, listed in the Stagecoach Committee plan. Would uh, an application that came through in that zone have a different set of standards that would apply as compared to uh, going through a traditional special use permit? Um, well, as right now, and as we are proposing this, these two zoning designations would only be allowable in Stagecoach, which is a targeted to growth area. Um, you wouldn't be able to ask for this zoning anywhere else in the county. You would or would not? Would not. So that's kind of the question. Why, I mean, why would we be singling out this one area? And you've explained because it's in the stagecoach area plan. But let's just say there was a similar piece of ground out by Hayden where someone wanted to engage in a similar kind of development. Would they be subject to a different set of standards than the property in stagecoach? It, it, as of right now, wouldn't be permitted in Hayden. Without an amendment to the master plan. Correct. So no. You wouldn't be able to ask for this zoning, these two zoning districts outside of Stagecoach because our master plan uh, provide us, provides the guidance to us you know, where you could only ask for something like this in Stagecoach. It's also specifically listed in the Stagecoach community plan. So and what about Windwalker? Well, so these two are not, we were not anticipating the ski, a ski area or a golf course being allowed in either one of these zone districts. The agriculture forestry zone district would allow for those uses through a special use permit. So these two are really just residential and then residential. So the stagecoach mountain residential would be just strictly residential with an allowance for a higher density than the high density residential zone district would. And then the stagecoach outdoor recreation would provide for uh, residential and commercial and retail uses with a higher density available as well. But the, but an actual, uh, the ski area or a golf course would still require the AF zoning and approval of a special use permit for that. Okay. I think I understand. Thank you. Any other questions? That zoning anticipates even more density than what is currently allowed? Than what would be allowed through a high density residential, yeah. And just to be clear, staff is not proposing that anything be zoned this right now. We're just creating the zone district in anticipation of someone requesting it. And then through the development review, the zone change review, that's where you would uh, determine whether that zone change and that density would be appropriate or not. But this, that level of density and commercial development could only happen in stagecoach. Correct. 
and then but you would be proposing like a future land use map kind of showing what you would be proposing in the future well the stagecoach plan already has a future land use map and that's what we are basing all of this off of oh it's the only plan with a future land use map that's uh, left yeah. right yeah and the future land use map doesn't necessarily designate as much as it recommends. It has no, it has no, well, the, the plan, the plan has, a future land use map has no regulatory implications. It's a desire versus a requirement, correct? Uh, no, the way the regulations are written right now is that uh, a proposal has to be in compliance with the master plan and any sub area plan which includes the future land use map. And so for tailwaters, they amended the, the future land use map so that their proposal was in compliance with that plan. We still haven't seen that one come back around, have we? Have not, no. Any, uh, any other comments? <clears throat> I, do we need to go through, I mean, I'm, Ultimately, we're going to try to get to the answer to the question. But do we need to talk about the uh, height restrictions in some of the next paragraph as well? Or am I stealing someone's thunder? I'd say if you have feedback on the high-level framework that we've pr provided and outlined in the memo, um, that is helpful for us as we move forward. So. From this meeting, we will be um, working through and finalizing drafts of these. So we'll be updating the use table, we'll be updating dimensions based off of the direction tonight. So if you do have um, feedback on um, dimensions, we would love to hear that tonight. So can you explain the value of Oh, the historic towns? So um, we have a next section. We've got about three slides that actually talk more specifically about tier two and tier three that I can move to if that's um, where the group wants to go versus the other <clears throat> standard zone districts. No, maybe I, maybe I misspoke. I'm just trying to get ourselves to a consensus mm -hmm. on the answer to question number one, are PC and BCC comfortable with the proposed simplification of the zone districts. But I see these two paragraphs above it. I'm trying to figure out, is that part of the simplification or not? Or am I just missing something here? That, that was just some information so that you could understand that we are not, while we're simplifying and kind of consolidating those zone districts, we are not looking to um, change the trigger for sewer service, for instance. We know that that's really important and we just wanted to make that that clear so do we have a consensus is everyone comfortable with the consolidation of the zone districts yes yes i i, I guess <clears throat> there's still some conversation to be had around tier three overlap but other than that and i think jessica is going to be addressing that yeah in future I slides I assume I'm okay with it. I just would like to hear a little more about it. You know, I would maybe like to hear a little bit more about, the, you know, the 40-foot height with the ability to go higher. There's a 
section on so that that would only be allowed in those stagecoach <coughs> recreation zone districts. and that's something they would have to come and request from the planning commission that's correct yeah, yeah. okay oh i do have one more question <clears throat> so the uh, commercial c zone district is that actually mapped or just described yes. No, we've got, there's some commercial zoning in Stagecoach, Steamboat Lake, Milner, Eberg. Those, I'm sure there's like some outliers out there. But that's where Across from the airport entrance. Uh, yeah, there's one in Hayden that I think is slated for <coughs> being absorbed here pretty soon. A seven acre parcel just on the river, just outside the town limits. Mm -hmm. But there's very few actually like individual commercially zoned parcels in the county yeah the reason i bring that up there's several properties owned by union pacific mm -hmm. in phippsburg in yampa and there's actually a fair size piece of ground they own in toponis yep. that would be should be considered eligible for future commercial activity and all those areas you described are considered tier three areas. Consider what? Tier three targeted growth areas. So and the master plan allows for certain commercial type developments to support the local community in those areas. Okay. I think some of them are actually AF right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fact. Where? Uh, the Toponis yard. And That's industrial. That's zoned industrial. The, are you talking about the like the switching yard on the east side of the highway? Sure. Yeah, that's all zoned industrial. Okay. The uh, the Fitzburg lot then is that Fitzburg lot? Which one? <laughs> the the major one that's along the whole entire length of the town. A lot of that. A lot of it is already yeah. commercial. Is that zoned commercial? Some of the most of them, oh, yes. I have Acts are all zoned, yeah, but there's a strip of industrial between the highway and the tracks. But you shouldn't confuse the industrial with the commercial because they're different. Right, yeah, yeah. First. So an exception would be the big building on the east side of 131 on railroad property from the town of Yepa. That's AF. Okay. I'm not exactly sure which one that is. Are you talking about Scott Place or the the fueling station? Just not now? the fueling station. The large. It's the old loading platform for the railroad. In it's not in the town of Yap. It's in the county. Right across, basically right across from the convenience store. Yeah, everything in Yampa that's not in Yampa is zoned. Yeah. Pardon. Everything in Yampa that's not actually in the town itself, it's all it's all AF. It's all AF. So you called it. I, I just feel like that's an example of <coughs> property that really should not be AF. But I don't think we need to decide that tonight. I'll identify, I'll flag it for you and okay. see if it's something that we ought to include as a commercial property or something other than okay. AF. Okay, I'm gonna keep us moving and get into a little bit more detail on the tier two and tier three growth areas. 
Um, so as I uh, mentioned, instead of having overlays for all of these areas, we are proposing um, using zone districts uh, to really just provide clearer direction. And also based off of your feedback, um, I think the structure of the overlays, particularly for Hayden and um, West Steamboat Springs, uh, didn't really resonate with the group. And so we um, we went back and um, we looked at that. So um, for Stagecoach, as I've mentioned, uh, two new zone districts are proposed, um, the outdoor recreation and the mountain residential zones. Um, as Alan said, these would only be applicable in Stagecoach. Property owner would need to choose to use these, uh, these zone districts. Um, and they would relate really to the anticipated uses that are in the master plan and the stagecoach sub-area plan. So areas identified for recreation, such as ski and golf, would um, be suitable for the stagecoach outdoor recreation zone. It would also allow for associated commercial uses that you would typically expect with um, those type of rec uh, facilities, as well as some limited residential use. And then the stagecoach mountain residential zone would allow for residential uses, but not commercial. And again, um, trying to be really consistent with the direction in both the master plan and the stagecoach sub area plan, um, identifying areas where outdoor rec and commercial uses are appropriate and areas where residential is appropriate. And so we would do that through, um, through the zone district. Um, within the Hayden area, we anticipate using all of the existing zone districts that we've just talked about, those consolidated zone districts, but development there would have some um, standards that refer to the town of Hayden, just to ensure that there's continuity um, with the development patterns in, in that area. We would also anticipate the potential for um, lodging uses as being appropriate in, in this area, so wanted to highlight that. In the West Steamboat Springs area, um, also using existing zone districts, but if a property owner wished to pursue higher density, annexation would be required or an agreement that when they were eligible for annexation that they would do so. Um, and so really wanting to make sure that if folks are wanting to do higher density um, beyond what is typically allowed in the county, that that's most appropriate within the city of Steamboat Springs and that the property should be annexed um, to accommodate that, that development. For the tier three areas, there are uh, two changes. So the first is a new zone district for the historic towns. So this includes Phippsburg, Milner, and Hans Peak. Those would all be updated to the tier three historic town zone. It would have some allowances for higher density as well as some reduced heights, setbacks, and lot sizes in order to reflect the historic development patterns that are within those kind of three historic towns. Um, there would also be some performance or development standards included to, um, again, really relate to the fact that these are more historic town site areas and um, should have some uh, different types of development, landscaping, signage, um, bicycle parking, things like that, that you wouldn't anticipate in other areas of the county. Um, and then can in the park- Can I interrupt right there? Please. I just wanna make sure I understand that in these historic towns, uh, these standards, this new district, do they contemplate the potential for say, Phippsburg to expand uh, say to the West? So what would happen if someone who owns the property to the west of Phippsburg 
uh, wanted to see that property developed, would they be complying with these standards for the existing area of Phippsburg, or would that be a whole different process? Yeah. Great, great question. That They would be required to go through a rezoning to use this zone district. And at that time, uh, the county commissioners and the planning commission through that rezoning application would determine if it's appropriate to expand kind of the area that's anticipated um, for this zone district. So the simple answer is in this moment is no, it's intended just for these historic towns, not the, the lands immediately adjacent. Thank you. Um, and then, what oh, go about ahead. the topography issues with uh, Hans Peak? I see you mentioned increased density, but Hans Peak has got some topography issues. Yeah, and, and maybe a, a clarifying point there is that it's not necessarily increasing density beyond what you see there today. It's increased um, to reflect the development pattern that exists and would be a little bit higher than other zone districts in the county. But the, the idea is to really reflect that historic development pattern as best as possible. So there's smaller lots, which lead to more houses um, and, and a little bit more density, but it's not looking at things like, you know, large apartment buildings, for instance. It, it's really trying to be sensitive to that historic character. But there is a distinction between Hans Peak and Milner and Peeberg, just because Milner and Peeberg both have the wastewater infrastructure. Um, Hans, this change to this new zone district would not allow higher densities in Hans Peak just because of the lack of a wastewater treatment plant. So um, we certainly kept that in mind when we were creating this zone district and we do have standards in it that relate specifically or not specifically, well, it is specific to Hans Peak, but it's framed around the requirement for a wastewater treatment system to be in place to achieve those higher densities. Um, all right, so then to wrap up this slide, there is one overlay um, that is proposed related to the tier three growth areas, and that is for the Clark and Taponis areas. Um, this would allow neighborhood commercial uses, so small scale commercial uses um, to be uh, developed in these areas, as well as some residential uses um, that would go through an approval process but the overlay would, would allow those things to, to move forward through that review process. Um, really importantly, uh, applicant at that time would need to show that the development can be served by emergency services and, and relevant county services. So trying to link development uh, to the provision of infrastructure um, as is appropriate. So um, that's maybe the one piece about that overlay. <laughs> two overlays exist today is it no no we have no overlay so i okay do, does the conceptual map for example for clark and toponis do they exist today or are we going to be drafting those also that's our next meeting maybe yeah we're going to be drafting those okay. that would be part of the proposal and also keep in mind for these tier three areas the kind of development that would be appropriate that's discussed in the master plan 
would be developments that support those communities. So when we say small scale, that's what the master plan but, but for says. example, what triggered Taponis to be included in the tier three? I remember some brief conversation. Oh, by the way, guys, Taponis is included also. Yeah. What what surfaced? It was mainly the store. Um, I mean, Taponis does have a long history and was, you know, uh, booming back in the day. I see uh, Tim Kurgan laughing about that. <laughs> way, way back in the day. <laughs> Historically speaking. Um, but uh, mainly it was the gas station and the store, um, which is, um, it's not zoned commercial. Um, it's a PUD. Um, and they came in and were looking to expand and do some work and they were really limited. And the master plan at that time did not support a change of zone. It was very, very clear that we couldn't use the master plan to support that, even though that use had been there um, for a very long time. Um, so they came through as a PUD and through that, you know, um, as we were looking at these historical towns, we thought it would be appropriate for some reasonable type Similar of development apart. in these areas. So is there a distinction that <coughs> uh, what a process to someone in Taponis would need to go through if they were going to take a piece of ground and subdivide it for residential purposes it would not require a zone change, like the scenario that I sketched out for Phippsburg? No, it, it would still require would. a change of zone. It would. Um, it, would. Yeah. it would just be that we would have the tools to review okay. and basically support or not um, an application that came through in those areas. So there's Based really on no, the language there's we're really going to no be drafting. significant distinction between expanding Phippsburg or creating new housing and Taponis. Correct. I mean, that will be part of the overall evaluation of an application. Okay. Are we, um, can I ask a question not related to the tier three or do we want to keep on that topic? Are we done with the tier three on there? I think so. I mean, I, we should probably have a little bit of a consensus because there's a they're looking for some direction from us in terms of whether or not we're comfortable with what they're proposing at this point in time, recognizing we'll get You're going to get addressed based apple. on right. the direction you're but I think a, kind of a nod is <clears throat> keep on moving mm -hmm. is what we're looking for. And, and can I ask a question about the overlay? Like how, what's, what will determine the mapping? We're working on that now. It's really, it's just, <clears throat> yeah, you don't even have a criteria for what that would we have some historically and historically exactly yeah i mean i think you can take stabs at those things and i think there's still I mean, inherent flexibility in the process to allow for pieces to get moved around right one thing i kind of wonder about is is the i feel like the county and the city of steamboat springs which is part of the county are kind of at odds when it comes to development philosophies. Uh, one of the big pushes with Brown Ranch is that it keeps the major impacts and the traffic, the some of that stuff close to right close to Steamboat and doesn't spread down valley or up valley. Whereas 
it seems like Route County is still really trying to encourage these other small municipalities to experience some forms of growth or at least give them the tools to experience growth. But I feel like there's maybe we're at odds. There was a statement about annexations and or when annexations could become possible. I feel like there's we still get put in that position where they could, someone could still, it, the, the, the city could say they don't want to annex a particular piece of property, but they could still come to the county and have development rights. And that, again, puts us at odds with the city of Steamboat Springs. We've seen it on much smaller scales before, but in something large like Brown, they're openly encouraging annexation. And so I just, I don't know if it's important for us to be in alignment or. Well, I think, I mean, if this is the way we go, we've just answered a big question that I've been really tired of answering. <clears throat> what if Steamboat does not annex the Brown Ranch? Will you, County, take it on? And I think this would answer the question. The answer is no. Uh, they have every right. Right? They have every right. If the city no, no, no. annexation, they could come to us for development. Not if we adopt, not if... Uh, if I mean, what that what this thing is saying not, is not that if you, want, if you want to have development out there, there's got to be a development agreement that requires it gets annexed. No, it, we yeah. we would require them to develop to city standards with the um, with the hope that they get annexed, and we would do that through a development agreement that they would be annexed in the future. Maybe under a different that... political environment. Maybe you know, there's a lot of things that can determine. Um, annexation at a later date, but we would absolutely want it to be annexed. Yeah, and um, it Andy, says right to here, your but point, any higher density development would require annexation into the city. Or, but it also goes on to say if a property is not eligible. So yeah. what does eligible mean? Is that the same as saying, well, we just don't want to do it? Say flagpole contiguity. Yeah, yeah. yeah, avoiding the flagpole. Issue. It's one fifth contiguity. Yeah. That's state law. So you have to have a a shared property boundary. And, well, it goes on to say the county would require a development agreement that the property is required to annex when it becomes eligible. Mm -hmm. It's eligible right now. Brown's Ranch. You're yeah. Talking oh, they've about. already. It is just that particular parcel. Yeah. But there are other parcels that have come before us. Much smaller developments that the city has discouraged voting approval for and said they would not annex, but they still could come to us with develop all their still intact development rights. We've faced that before. And again, I, I don't know that's a problem because I think the process protects everybody in the end, but there's this fundamental sort of misalignment, I think on that. Just the intention that only Steamboat can grow and the other towns shouldn't experience growth, I think is a major disconnect. I understand what you're saying, but I think yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. more focused on, I just want to be clear here. If Brown Ranch is not annexed into the city of Steamboat Springs, could it still be developed? They would have to come through your process, yeah. our process, yeah. but, and they yeah. can make an application, but ultimately that is going to be up to all you to, for yeah. you to decide right. They still get their day, their, their hearings. Exactly. The it's not an automatic. Could, Christy, in yes. that scenario, could they not come and say, we want to subdivide 600 lots, not annex the whole property? 
It's a targeted to growth area. They can uh, make an application. They file a subdivision of four to six hundred units that are within the county, mm -hmm. and it, they haven't chosen to annex the whole property, and they don't seek to annex that small subdivision. That seems like it's not much different than doing a Silver Spur. Or yeah. Heritage Park or Steamboat Or Heritage too. Park or Steamboat too. Yeah, I mean- They can, they can do that then, could they? They, they could. Right. Yeah. And Does it mean it would get approved or- I agree. I mean, they'd have to go through our process. Exactly. But right. the standards are in place. Right. The staff I mean, is there to handle the- we're, we're coming off the heels of our existing longstanding master plan where you know, for years it was development is appropriate in our municipalities. And through this update, we were very purposeful and we were deliberate of where development is appropriate. West Steamboat was always a potential growth area, as was Stagecoach, yep. right? Yep. We had just made it more clear that these are targeted areas and they're appropriate because they have the infrastructure in place to support more density. Um, but like any application, it's an application that would still have to be reviewed for offsite impacts. If it's appropriate, it would come through our process. Um, so Darn, I was hoping I wouldn't have to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> and then through that, we also created and we looked at our tier three areas, which have always been our historically developed um, uh, communities in Route County. Um, and these are areas that could support some level of appropriate development to support those communities. So, so with that, oh, oh, go oh, so, go. Well, I have a question about, <clears throat> I mean, conceptually we can talk all day long about these different types of, you know, zoning, but really where the rubber meets the road is the map. Yeah. You know, it's what yeah. is included within these districts. Yes. So can you explain just a little bit more about the process for developing that? Uh, the, the map itself? Yeah, or... like for, well, for example, when you're talking about the creation of two new stagecoach zone districts, how will you decide what is stagecoach outdoor recreation or whatever the term was? And Yeah, the landowner would approach us um, for the, like a change of zone process. Um, the alternate to that is we have our future land use map, mm -hmm. um, which stage for, for stagecoach was just to answer that yeah. direct question, um, which um, we could rezone through this process specific properties and do it that way also. So that's something um, we will be discussing in more depth of you know, is it something that we rezone a lot of these properties that we're talking about? Um, or is it through the landowner who makes that request for the change of zone? Yeah, and the map gets drawn, it comes in front of us, we review it, discuss it. Exactly. Feedback gets adjusted. Yeah. There's usually comment from the public. So yeah. I think I I think we've seen that process mm -hmm. in the past where some of this stuff has been generated. And so it's again, not just a one-time deal. We get a couple of cracks at it to dial it in. So the, the only changes to the zoning map that we're, that staff is proposing through this UDC is removing the mining zone district to AF, changing all the low density, medium density to high density, and then Milner, Peberg and Hans Peak to that new tier three historic town. Those are the only changes that we're proposing now. All of these other zone districts we are putting in place 
in case somebody would like to come and apply for a zone change to those. So, I mean, we talked about the agricultural conservation zone district that was put in place in anticipation of someone wanting to come and do it. No one ever did. And so it's just sat out there and we never use it. I mean, there is a potential that we could create these two stagecoach zone districts and it never get used. But yeah, stagecoach is going to be yeah, changing a lot from because of the medium low changing all to high now. And that's the whole thing either way is going to change the fabric of stagecoach, even just with these changes. Kind of what I'm seeing. Well, yes and I no. Mean, the areas that have water and sewer would potentially have the ability to have higher density, but most of those actually are zoned HDR already. Yes. The south area stagecoach, which has no infrastructure and it would be very difficult to get it to there at that point, mm -hmm. those are zoned LDR and you could label them LDR, MDR, HDR, whatever the heck you want to label them right now. <laughs> you still can't do anything. You can still can't do anything with them until you change them to five acres and go to M MRE. So that, that's kind of why that particular consolidation is proposed because they're not doing anything. So in an effort to try to move things along, would it be fair to say that the consensus of the committee, of the chair, of the commissioners is it, in terms of answers to questions, key questions one, two, and three, we can all proceed and move forward? Yes. yes. Perfect. Perfect. Fabulous. Back to you, Jessica. Great, um, thank you. <clears throat> we are next gonna move into PUDs. So PUDs will remain a zone district that um, you go through a PUD process, but we are um, suggesting some changes to, to that process and the review criteria. Um, so in order to help increase the clarity um, for approved PUDs, we are proposing that a recorded PUD guide um, be included. This is really a standard practice in many communities and um, can really help staff and property owners right after the approval, but also years down the road um, to really understand the intent behind some of the requirements as well as the specific dimensional and use allowances. So um, we are really recommending that this PUD guide be part of the updated PUD process. And then a PUD plan would be required, like a PUD map, um, if the guide is not sufficient. So that's one key change. Additionally, some new criteria are anticipated um, to really ensure that there's a public benefit. Um, this criteria would also relate to landscaping, open space and parks, as well as sustainable or energy efficient development. So just wanting to make sure that um, PUDs are held to clear standards and have that public benefit. From a process perspective, we are proposing an additional simplification. Um, your process is one of the more streamlined um, out there, but there are other opportunities, additional opportunities to streamline and, and create some additional clarity. So. Right now, your current process requires public hearings at both conceptual review and final review. Um, we are proposing that that public hearing process with Planning Commission and the Board of County Commissioners remain for that conceptual review, but that the final review um, would be completed administratively. And so that would remove one step of that um, public hearing process and move that to an administrative process, which um, should be quicker for applicants um, and have some additional clarity for them. 
Um, finally, we are proposing uh, adding three amendment processes um, just to be really clear about what type of amendment is required to go through which type of process. So um, there are typically three different types of amendments, major, minor, and technical. Um, what we're proposing is that a major amendment is something that would require review by the Board of County Commissioners. Um, this would be something that's a significant change to the approval. So it might be um, a change to the allowed uses or a change in an agreed upon public benefit, that those rise to the level um, of importance that they need to be reviewed by the county commissioners. A minor amendment would be reviewed by the planning commission, and it might change a specific aspect of the development, maybe a trail connection location or a building location, uh, maybe something related to parking. Um, but it doesn't change the overall development allowances and limitations of the PUD like that major amendment would. And then finally, um, we're proposing a technical amendment uh, process that would be reviewed administratively. So these are things that might be of a technical nature um, through the uh, final plotting process, for instance, maybe maybe there was something found in the survey, maybe there is something discovered as, as part of additional work with utilities, so really on that technical side. Um, the other piece of this is many communities through their review process allow um, certain uh, adjustments to be reviewed at an administrative level. So in that PUD guide, you might say, well, height is limited to 30 feet, but in these locations through a staff review, it could be increased to 35 feet or 45 feet, you know, and kind of pick that dimension, but that those things would also be reviewed as an administrative process um, when they're written into that PUD guide. Um, so with that, I'll pause and see if you have questions and if you generally support those changes to um, particularly the review processes related to PUDs. And I would like to just make one clarification that uh, the most PUDs, I mean, I guess most PUDs in Route County are to take care of non-conforming situations like the Capona store, the Clark store, Strawberry Park Hot Springs, um, but uh, Heritage, both Heritage Park and Silver Spur have PUD overlays as well. And so when there, when a PUD is for a subdivision development like that, they would still go through the subdivision review in addition to the PUD review. So you would be able to, the PUD is just the zoning, the setbacks, the height, the architecture, things like that. But the subdivision review is where you would actually review the layout of it and uh, make sure all the utilities and infrastructure and everything else are taken care of. So even though with the PUD under the proposed process, you would only see it once at conceptual, you would still see the subdivision aspect of it, um, depending on if we, under our current regulations, you would see it twice, once at conceptual and then once at preliminary, and then final is just an administrative decision. So you would still be able to review the, the layout of the subdivision. So, so if, can I ask a question? Um, so in those overlays, say for the T3 areas, right? So for Toponus and Clark, for instance, if somebody wanted to come along saying in Toponus, 
in, I don't know, start a cafe or something, like a little restaurant there. Would they have, would they be coming through and asking for a PUD under that overlay or would they be coming in and asking for like an SUP under that overlay? I think the overlay just uh, provides the allowance for that. It's not going to change the zoning or the review process for it. It's just taking that policy in the master plan saying that certain commercial and residential uses are appropriate in this area and putting that into the regulations. So it's, it would, it would be most likely through a, through a special use permit or, or something like okay, that. Okay, I see. And Alan, if, for instance, under the sustainable development practices, it's talking about putting in requirement for electric vehicle charging, uh, minimum tree canopy, is that the place where we would put in and for a PUD that may also be a subdivision that may not be, it might be commercial, um, that they have to have community trash recycling composting <clears throat> within the PUD. Um, yeah, so anything that is not like a standard portion of the existing zone district um, would be put into, into that PUD. Um, but I mean, we're anticipating that those requirements that you just mentioned are a requirement of any subdivision, no matter what the zoning is. But if it's not a subdivision, that's what I was asking. In other words, I understand it for a subdivision. What if it's a PUD for the commercial? Oh, I see. So what you're the saying. cafe that was just mentioned. Yeah. So I mean, we would have development standards, and but the the beauty or the drawback of a PUD is that there's flexibility in those development standards. Um, but staff would review it with those development standards as being the baseline. Okay. And then if the decision makers felt that those standards were appropriate, and if they were asking to not be applied, you could still say, no, we, these are important enough to us that we're going to require these to, to be in there, even though you asked for them to be waived. So to follow up on Linda's example of the cafe in Phippsburg, if it was coming through as a PUD, would we be able to waive the 25%? Uh, minimum uh, parks and open space open space requirement um I don't, no because Sorry. that's part of the well yes i think there is an allowance we've crafted an allowance to be able to reduce that based on some other public benefit or quality of the open space or some other some other standard <clears throat> however the goal is probably the goal is to move away from puds you know, um, PUDs are essentially spot zoning, right? It's very site specific. Um, your example though, in Peaberg, there's already commercial properties, but also through the code amendments, uh, changes zone to commercial would more than likely be supported for changing the zone to a commercial to support a use like that. Because it's in this historical town um, district that we are referring to. Take the I design property, which is currently Ag Forestry with a PUD, it would be encouraged or allowable to approach it to change the zoning right. to commercial. So that you could get away from the 25% open space requirement. Yeah, I mean, I'm I a think, little queasy about that. There's been, I think, in our past conversations, we've shown a lot of flexibility in how that's applied and uh, creative solutions for uh, how that 
those requirements are met. Some things we've talked about this before are thought about requirements as if it was a subdivision, but there's other spots where you don't need those requirements. And I think we've had that flexibility in a lot of that discussion in the past. I, I think from a conceptual review standpoint for the final decision, I'm okay with it being administrative. I think if they come to us once under the conceptual review and get our feedback, moving to the next process, I would be happy to leave with staff instead of requiring it to come back through for approval of the final conceptual review. I, I'm, not, I'm not quibbling about the process. I think the streamlining of the process I'm fine with. I'm just a little bit concerned about this absolute requirement of 25% open space parks for any PUD. Yeah. I, I can envision a scenario where it just wouldn't be appropriate. It wouldn't work. And, and we recognize that mainly through the Snow Country PUD. Yep. And we have, uh, we do have some standards in there that would provide some flexibility okay. to reduce that 25%. If there's flexibility. I think PUDs are far more effective in commercial and higher density kind of developments almost within existing towns than they are in the county because I think it was Sarah who pointed out and then um, it was mentioned again, it's kind of spot zoning. And so it's a, it's a way of actually providing solutions, but we're doing something. You're also is, asking for something that isn't allowed. Yeah, and so, so, so we're kind of just making hopefully the process a little more streamlined and not as onerous because that's the other thing, PUDs are far more difficult to get approved. Well, one last question. The, the public benefit that must be provided, uh, is it yeah. possible for that public benefit to be provided off-site or does it have to be on-site? We would suggest that it should be, there should be some flexibility there that maybe a preference for on-site or with, within the overall PUD, but that in some circumstances, it maybe makes sense for that to be located in, in a different area, whether that's related to infrastructure, um, housing, you know, it, it could be a number of things, but, but we would suggest some flexibility there. Is it enough of a benefit that you can get a scone in Taponis instead of <laughs> driving to Peaberg or Yampa? And is that considered you're taking, benefit? you're taking traffic no. off the road? You could go in so many different directions <laughs> to justify it. I do have a quick question too. Uh, with the PUD process now for the conceptual review, how much more detail is it for the applicants? Is it going to be like a, a lot more onus than what it? currently is and was there any thought of like having something like what I see as a conceptual review before that where it'd be a sub kind of category that you don't have to do but you could to ask like for variances and see if there is some appetite before trying to do a whole huge PUD and so you would have some option to do more hearings but maybe you're kind of on the pre-application conference sort of thing yeah, exactly. Kind of just, was there any kind of talk about that and how much more, if, if this new process is going, if that's going to put more uh, cost into the application for the people? So we currently have a pre-application conference, which allows somebody to, it's the same application fee. Um, they provide us as much information as they want to. 
and then they come to planning commission the okay. board and you give them feedback but there's no decision made okay and so there they, there already is that ability well, with that would that have any sticking point so say this commission makes a we want this variance we we agree with that and then they go out and then they bring something in and then they're like new commissioners nope <coughs> we don't like this idea i mean that's that's the risk well, you run nice. with any yeah. type of application so i i don't see that being an issue <coughs> um and you asked about like we're trying to streamline this process and that would obviously add another step but through that conceptual pud process you have the ability to say i do like that i don't like that change this change that and then under the proposed process once it comes back to staff for the final review we would have those conditions of approval the minutes from that hearing where you where you made gave that direction and we would ensure that that direction was followed before we approved it. Any other comments? Once again, is it fair to say that we can go forward on question number four? Yes. yes. Perfect. Okay. Great. Um, so we'll move next to um, house size limitation. Um, we got a lot of feedback in the survey and our open house about this topic in the fall, as, as Riley mentioned earlier. Um, only 20% of the folks that we um, talked with and, and heard from on the survey said that they did not support a house size limitation. So it means 80% supported some kind of limitation. Um, there's really two reasons to consider limiting house size. The first is related to the climate impacts of larger homes. So these tend to have larger, more complex systems, and the amenities tend to utilize more energy. Uh, the second reason is from a community character and aesthetic perspective. Um, what I would say is in the community engagement, when we were having conversations with folks, um, we heard a lot of comments and questions and concerns about the climate impacts of larger homes and the sustainability um, aspects and the importance of including that within the code. So that was feedback that we did get through the process. And it's also included within the master plan itself. Um, so based off of that feedback and the direction in the master plan, um, we are proposing um, a sliding scale of house size uh, based off of the lot size. So the larger the lot, the larger the overall house size could be. Um, we are proposing and would really appreciate your feedback tonight on a maximum house size of 7,500 square feet. Um, it's included on the slide here. There are some limitations through HOAs that do exist in Mount County today. Um, in um, AMR and, and Canabout. So that is an important reference point. Uh, another reference point uh, which is included in your memo is uh, Picking County uh, does have a house size limitation. They have for a number of years at 15,000 square feet. In the last month that has been reduced to 9,250 square feet. And it's anticipated to be further reduced um, to about 8,750 uh, in 2024. Um, Summit and San Miguel counties like Route County do not currently have a house size limitation. So we just wanted to provide that context so you understand how other counties are, are treating this issue. 
Um, but we have included as a proposal that sliding scale of house size up to a maximum of 7,500 square feet. And um, we'll pause there and, and hear what feedback and questions you might have. I'm wondering um, the sliding scale that you're suggesting, um, how does that work? I mean, obviously, potentially you're talking larger homes, larger lots, maximum 7,500, but what's, what's the vision there? I mean, can you give me some examples of what these home sizes would be based on the acreage of the lot? And then also, is that something that's been utilized elsewhere? The sliding yeah. scale. Yes. Yeah. So um, a sliding scale uh, for house size is pretty common in cities. Um, and so you can kind of have a, a, a floor area that is based off of uh, your your lot size. So it's a one to one ratio or a 0.25 to one ratio. Um, it just sort of depends on the community and, and what their comfort level is and what their lot sizes are. With um, we, we're going to have to do more work on this if the group supports the idea of the sliding scale, um, because we want to make sure that it's really right sized for um, route county versus just using another community's standard. Um, there are certain zone districts within Pitkin County that do use a sliding scale, um, and that's a 0.2 to 1 ratio that they use. Um, and so I can really quickly do some math on that. Um, but you max out on in this yeah. I think before we get into an in-depth discussion about sliding scales and why, we should probably have the bigger discussion whether we want to do this at all yeah. and why. Yeah. And before we go down that, if you don't mind, I would love to hear the overall of the survey. It, you know, we heard a big support, 80% in support of and 20% not supporting. How, how, many, how many people actually responded to that? to this particular survey question. Set the parameters for us. Yeah, that, it's, it's really- 57, and I'll, and I'll jump in here too, because total. this discussion is in our master plan, and this was largely driven through the master plan process where there was a lot of outreach for it. And it, the main reason, in addition to the supporting the climate action plan had to do with community character. That's where that, this discussion has come from. And we heard it through our technical working groups. Um, and because we have heard it several times now, and it is something that we are tasked to do to consider and look at <coughs> through the master plan, that's why it's here before you. Well, and wasn't that also one of the questions that was asked in one of the master plan surveys? Not yes. just this survey, but also yeah. a master plan survey. That's, and that's how it ended up in the master plan to consider house, house size limitations. Do you remember what the I don't, were, I don't, I don't have that offhand, but it was high enough that it made it into the master plan. And, and I'll, yeah, I'm, I've got some stuff to say. <laughs> you know, with the size of Route County, the diverse acreage sizes that we have in Route County and comparing that to the master plan, plan process and often seeing the same people at the outreach, um, different events. I frankly have a lot of concern with setting, taking initiative and setting a size limitation or cap or sliding scale without doing more outreach in the county itself. 
I don't think that this subject has been fully vetted and it's concerning. Yeah, so. I, I would I would follow up on that by saying, personally, I'm supportive of this. I like the idea for a number of reasons. But having said that, my concern is part, partly what Ren said, that do we really have enough feedback? Because this is a pretty significant and likely a pretty controversial decision. And I guess I would hate to see our overall adoption of this section of the unified code poisoned by a controversial uh, controversy over house size. And, and I guess the question I would ask the group, would we be better served to <coughs> adopt this at this time and take it on as a separate uh, item at a future date? I, go ahead. Can I, can I jump in? I'll back up some of that. Um, I, I think there's all kinds of reasons why you want to limit house sizes. It has to do with environmental considerations and uh, functional space. I mean, two people living in a 10,000 square foot house is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Right. <laughs> I don't care how much money they got. It doesn't really matter. Uh, so, making size <laughs> limitations, I'm fine with. I used to live in Pitkin County. It's very familiar with what went on over there. And, and, and They've been a long time making their adjustments. So Tim's right. However, I don't know how you get to the right number. I don't know if 7,500 is the right number, or 10 is the right number, or 8 is the right number. And I'm sure it's going to provoke some opposition in significant portions of the county. And so having a more in-depth discussion and getting more data as, uh, as was proposed here, I think would be the right course of action on this one. I would concur, Ed, but I'd add additional comment. What I don't care for if this is it's part, a big part is being climate action driven. I'm not seeing any incentives. I mean, I, let me turn around. I guess we're taking the position, well, if we just fix the square footage, it solves all the problems. Hmm. And I'm not sure that's really how that works. I think there are options that are available to a larger size house that we've not considered. <clears throat> so this concept of just cut the square footage down, all the problems go away. I don't think I buy into that. As if uh, Technology won't be developed that could allow a 20,000 20, square foot house to be carbon and, neutral. And that's the extreme, but exactly. But, but, but it, and yeah. again, our, it's a very utopian ideal to limit size, to improve character and do all these things. But it, not that I agree with the sentiment 100%, but it's like totally un-American to be like, you, you, if you're stupid enough or have that much money, why should we say you can't do what you want, how you want to waste your money? That's incumbent upon you. But they have to live in it for at least six months of the year. Right. Well, that I, I don't mind the residency <laughs> and those. That's a whole nother discussion. I mean, again, I'm, I'm working on a house that's getting built right now that's like 15,000 square feet and it's in, it's insane personally it's insane professionally i'm tasked to solve a problem right uh, clearly you have a conflict of interest absolutely <laughs> <laughs> you need to recuse yourself in this <laughs> but everyone here could have a conflict of interest in some way because we all interact within that that environment i i just I think it's a, a taking of personal property rights, and I'm not. Hell, we do that all the time, Andy. Yeah. But not by square footage of what you can build. Or how high. And there are processes for, for getting your uses. A PUD allows you a process to get the uses that aren't that you've been restricted on. 
I don't know. I, I just think it's, again, I salute the utopian ideal. I, I don't want to have anything to do with setting limits on square footage. Of I, I think Ren said it best at the beginning. We just have not had right. enough input that's to right, make a right. decision right. of this significance. I would like for those of you who are suggesting that we defer the decision and do additional outreach to walk that out and tell me what that looks like. What's the time frame? What's the process? Who leads this effort? We can do some, some work. How many over 7,500 square foot houses have been built in the county, not within subdivisions, but in the county in the last, you name the time frame, seven years? What's that data look like? Six. Six. I don't know. It could be 10. So, oh. where we have, you know, we need that more than that. As Jim, yeah. Yeah. But, but, so then yeah. going I mean, forward, again, it's a large county and that process needs a lot more you know more meat to it than what we did through the master plan in my opinion well i understand what you're saying and i mean i'm personally obviously the person as my commissioners know who you know always demands that we have appropriate public process and good public input and everything else so you know i'm okay with that if that's what we're actually talking about if we are talking about we simply don't want to make this decision or we believe it's a taking or whatever it is i think we just need to come out and say that as andy did um personally you know i don't uh, agree that it's a taking and i think it's very standard practice and i don't have any problem with making the decision now or into the future um if this group is truly after public input and wants to create a public process i, I can go with that but i want to know that it's going to be done and who's going to lead it and what does it look like because you know if we're just punting here to punt or we're not willing to come forward and say what we think and that ultimately regardless of public process we're going to vote it down let's let's just be real about it um <coughs> Part of my concern is how do you make people give you what their opinion is about it? They've had every opportunity since we started the master plan process. And I think that's what irritates me is to hear this, well, we haven't done enough to reach out. Well, we did a lot to reach out. And I really get irritated at this idea of we haven't heard from the people that build 10,000 square foot houses who are here during Christmas because we didn't do an outreach to them last December. I don't care. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm at a point where I'm over the outreach part because they were given the opportunity. I'm in, and, I'm in Linda's camp on that one too. You know, the public has an obligation to exactly When we are doing public processes, as Linda says, you can't go force people to show up and give you their opinion. You have hearings, you publish notices, you got websites, and if the public doesn't respond, that's their obligation. If they don't do it, it's their fault, not ours. We operate on the best information we can get, and we could we could do some more information gathering on this particular topic. Yeah, well, I hear less public outreach than I do researching what's going on in other communities and finding out what's working or if there's any pushback for us. To me, that's more meaningful. But otherwise, I'm with Linda. You can keep doing outreach forever, and it doesn't change. When you'll hear about it is when you oppose it. That's when you'll hear about it. But, but our public <laughs> process through the master plan was not a taking. I'll use the example of water rights. For many, many years in the water right world, you'd get these emails or letters from the Division of Water, and you, you never really even looked at them up until about the past eight years. And the idea being that you had to measure your water 
and put in current measuring devices or they would shut your water off and they started shutting water off by taking everyone started paying attention to the division of water. Our master plan process was not about a taking. This is about a taking. And so that's why I'm very strong about that process needs more of a public process and more data to support. I don't but here's the thing, I you're talking about water rights that exist. We're talking about putting out a rule and it, we're not going to ask the people that have the 10,000 square foot house to knock off 3,000 right. square feet of it. That's the difference. We're not taking. This is putting people on notice. You want to come into this county and buy 35 acres and build a house. This is our rule. We didn't take anything from you. And even if you're sitting there with your 35 acres and you haven't built yet, you did that knowing buyer beware. We have the right as a governing entity and as the people who live here, Route County, the right to change that rule and say we do have a square footage limit. And, and that's why I say I'm over this idea of letting people know more about it. Well, it, they've you, had every chance. Your sample to know size that. that you get from our standard responses is generally too small, I think, to hang any hat on. Yeah, you know, when you have sixty people that respond, but the master and plan the actual, process had a lot. It had it more, had, had more responses. The ver the verbiage, right the verbiage. I think that was said. Twenty percent responded. Does that mean eighty percent responded that it was important? Did everyone answer that question? Data can be manipulated to fit almost any viewpoint. Again, I still, I just don't like. I know a gigantic house in the county that's over 10,000 square feet, but most people never see it. And when you see it, you wouldn't know that it's 10,000 square feet. So how is it ruined character? There's no, I, I just don't know. Again, when somebody comes to us with a crazy business idea that they wanna do in the county, we don't tell them their idea is stupid. We give them the tools to be successful and the guidance to fit the master plan and all of our things. I just think it's somewhat arbitrary and capricious to put a limit on it. I think the cost of building and the square footage building, which has just astronomically skyrocketed, is a major self-limiting factor in this. It's just one of those things I don't know that, that we have any business dabbling into. Now, if the commission decides to move forward and it puts that in place, I generally support what we end up going forward with or sometimes don't, but I, I, it just seems like it's something that I don't know that we really need to, to dig into because it's arbitrary and capricious. We've got an obligation to deal with, uh, with uh, carbon footprints. But what if what if you could build something that's gigantic but had all its carbon offsets? Come and show us if we grant you a waiver. But that actually that actually was you one of the questions. We don't have variances yeah. really. <laughs> variances I think if you not. look at the results of the survey, it's interesting to this extent. Thirty-three <coughs> percent like the sliding scale. Twenty percent, I'm rounding a bit, but twenty percent, for example, a carbon neutral house would have no size limitation. So already you've got borderline 50%, well, 50% are either on a sliding scale and or recognize the carbon neutral part of it. Right. And I think they kind of dovetail together. Yes. 
And so we sit here, and I'm getting back to my point. Does 7,500 fix all the problems? I don't think so. There should be more information out there to help us decide, okay, is this a combination of square footage and carbon neutrality or energy efficiencies right. or what have right. you, as opposed to this 7,500? That's it. We're done. There's no consideration. A ban for natural gas? Is that what you're saying, Steve? I'm sorry. In the country, Are you suggesting a ban on natural gas? Is that, is that what I'm <laughs> the hearing gas over here? I don't know. Maybe that goes to the geothermal system. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I just, it bothers me, at least it bothers me to say, that's the number. Forget it after that. So personally, I don't think that the carbon issue is the issue. For me, this is a community character issue right. because okay. my 2,500 square foot house uses more electricity and propane <laughs> than most of these 10,000 square foot. <laughs> and it's a fact. It's, it's just good thing it's you bought a historic tons house. Tons of windows. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Linda made a pretty compelling uh, uh, testimony about people having an opportunity to weigh in and uh, and yeah, it's, I think it's more of a community character issue. Do we want to be a community of 15, 20,000 square foot houses? <laughs> and, and let's face it, as we have more and more people with great wealth coming into our community, building these huge houses, it's exacerbated the workforce housing issues. It's driven up uh, real estate values in a, in, in a really crazy kind of a way. So, um, I mean, I appreciate the conversation about gathering data on, on carbon emissions on these houses, but for me, that's not the issue. So are you saying that we are in some way tacitly approving income inequality oriented policies if we do not adopt a square footage minimum? I don't think I said that. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know, I think we've been talking. We've been talking about this. We've been talking about this. I mean, there is a very serious income inequality situation going on in our community, and we know this. And you know, the resulting impacts are creating. I mean, we all know about the impacts. We all know that our workforce doesn't have housing. We all know that people can't keep people employed. We all know all of those impacts that are a result generally of income inequality. So I, I, I'm sort of making fun of you, but I'm also saying that what you say, what you're saying about the community character question, it's not about should the houses be pink or blue or, you know, flat roofs that Paul hates or, you know, those kind of community character questions. It's about, do we want to promote income inequality? And just thank you for putting those words in my yeah. mouth. Am I wrong? And what Andy said, something uh, like Alan said, the question is, is this a taking? And I remember Alan saying a couple of years ago, what do you think planning is? Sure. <laughs> right? He said some words to those effects. <laughs> right? It's just it's a setting the rules so you know when you get into the community what you're getting into. So that's one point. The other is the workforce and what Sonia was saying, the workforce itself, I, I, I call it trophy home state. That's my end of it. I, I go out and lay out these huge houses at times. And that workforce is only available in so many places. And when that workforce is working on these big, big houses, guess what they're not working on? 
The houses that people live in <laughs> that work here, there's only so many people. It's that simple. There's only so many people that live and work in this community. So you literally exasperate the problem. The more big houses you build, that's where the money is. If you're a general contractor, you're, you're going to want to build one 10,000 square foot house as opposed to four 2,500 square foot houses. And yet you've pulled that workforce out of the community to work on the bigger houses because that's where the money is. But we're also kind of talking high density and changing a little bit more high density stuff. So those contractors might be going to multifamily and townhomes and different things like that where there are some more money. So mm -hmm. I, I can't necessarily say that, you know, by doing this, we're, we're limiting or having a big factor in, uh, in changing who's coming in or what's affecting uh, people's work or anything like that. I think the high density and the zoning part of things is really doing it. But like to the factor of in the last 10 years, how many 10,000 square foot homes have there been? Uh, you know, it's probably very few. Do we expect really that to be there? And so is the 7,500 really going to deter or make someone think, oh, I should move to another county or something because of that? And I really don't see this having that much generation of effect for anything. And it's just maybe a hot topic that could push people's buttons. Well, there is some problems for contractors building multifamily houses. And it's to the point now that a lot of liability insurance companies will not even cover you if you're doing multifamily because you're exposing them to multiple lawsuits. Right. So they would rather take that 10,000 square foot house and shore me to plumb and heat that yeah. than have me go do an affordable housing project. Okay. Construction <laughs> defects laws we've been working on for how many decades and we can't get anywhere because the home builders actively oppose them all the time. So in all fairness to the question, how do you, I, I don't know if any of us feel comfortable with the feedback we've got from the bubble gum because <laughs> uh, I don't think 57 people responding to a, a survey. I'm comfortable. Linda's comfortable. I'm comfortable because of the point that Linda made, which is um, the participation Christy in the master plan. Data. Okay. However, but you put a number out there. my computer just... How did you get more data? Um, so in the appendix of the master plan, there is all the survey results where we ask these questions and to answer the question about the robust or how not robust the outreach was, it was based on um, 300 people that responded specifically to that question. And <laughs> sorry, I have a blank screen right now, but um, it was approximately 62% of the folks commented on some in favor of some house size versus 38% um, who chose other, which could be no restriction, or they were thinking of some other house size. Um, and Alan, maybe you can bring that up since my computer, <laughs> like literally. Yeah, I'm looking. Where is it? It's appendix? in the appendix. The appendix of the master it's the second page of the appendix. I think. And the then there was a follow-up question um, about uh, people in favor of restrictions and what kind and people there was another 60 something percent who were in favor of restrictions 
versus non-restrictions? And that was like the specific question. Um, I think the outreach and the effort was more than significant. And, and the fact that people don't participate shouldn't reflect poorly on the effort of the outreach that was done. I'm, I'm back up. <laughs> so uh, the question asked, limiting house sizes to 4,500 was 32%. Limiting to 5,500 square feet was 16%, and limiting to 6,500 square feet was 14%, with a total of 60, what is that, 60, 62, no, 62. 65. Okay, 65. Um, and then the other category was 38%. Um, but then they dove in a little bit deeper, and it was explore restrictions on residential structures to reduce the amount of resources spent on construction, operations, and upkeep. And upkeep, and um, sixty-two were sixty-two percent were in favor of some sort of restriction. Twenty-eight would like to see a size restriction, whereas twenty-four supported some sort of tax or offset instead of a square footage restriction. Forty-five percent voted for no restrictions. Now you're speaking my language. You want to build something big, tax it, do whatever you want to it to, <laughs> to get your pound of flesh. That's true. Yes. Great, great point. If we had a so rational it, tax it, structure. Uh, hold on, hold on. To, uh, try, maybe try to bring this to some point. Um, uh, we've, we've done outreach. I'm in Linda's camp. We've done a lot of outreach. We've got a lot of data. Christy just decided a lot of data. <clears throat> what I don't think we have that we could, if somebody ran into me at Lions Drug and I had to defend what we did. I don't think what we have here is anything to substantiate a number, right? right. Whether it's a 10,000, is 7,500, is right. 4,500. And, and I think where we can get more data on that and <clears throat> not reinvent the wheel is to go get more data from other communities that have restrictions. See what their restrictions are, what their experience has been with those restrictions, what data or input they use to develop those restrictions, <clears throat> I think that would be meaningful guidance. Not what, not what the man in the street thinks. They've got their opportunity. But I That's think we could get more exact data from people who've already- And staff is already working on that behind the scenes. We just didn't have it prepared for tonight, but we are meeting again, as you know, on the 21st. And we can bring back that data along with any so other- So would it be for to bring it back on this for payment? I think we do. Well, but bringing that data back only makes sense if there's a consensus here that we are talking about a restriction. But how many years of that restriction being in place does it take to truly affect community character? 50, 100? You know, it may just be symbolic, Andy, at a certain point, but symbolism has some value. So again, I mean, I'm hearing in the room here, I'm sensing there's at least two or three people that are not interested in this subject at all. So take a straw poll right now. Let's all raise your hands. If you're in favor of some restriction, let's hear about it. I'd like to see the data. There you go. I'd like to continue the conversation. Predicated on, on, on data. Yeah, that's like, it. You need a third question. It's not, you know, again, so 300. You think it's a survey with 300 people. How many of them lived in the city limits versus the county? As compared to county wide, I don't think. Well, we you want to send? You can send out. Great, I'd love to. Then you can send out. You can send out a survey to 
That's five thousand here. Well, if you want to exert an expense, then you're probably still not going to get more than three hundred responses. Well, there's still. <laughs> gonna, why don't we? Hold on. Why don't we? Otherwise, we're going to be here all night. I'm not for or against. I'm against the current process. And we understand. Yep. Right. But again, so why don't, I recommend least... we defer until the next go around and let's see what staff comes back with. We may not solve it yet, but right. at least let's give them the opportunity to come back to us. Right. Otherwise, we'll be here all night long. All right. Can I add to the conversation yes. that we should consider um, Catamount and Alpine Mountain Ranch and their decision making, making a 12,500 square right. foot cap. Yeah. And with that, there we should also consider what I consider foot area ratio, which you can't have 12,500 square feet on a 10 acre lot, you know, so there's going to, the sliding scale should be, should be there. And I, I don't mind having the, uh, the political question answered of if they give us bonuses, whether it be in tax money or green building or whatever, can they get an extra X amount of square feet? Those three things are, are really what I would like to hear from. I think that that is a good point about the um, the kind of bonus question. I mean, <coughs> I would like to know if that's being utilized in other places, and if so, how is it working? Um, they I use they use it in uh, in Pitkin County and Aspen, and it's still the most affordable unaffordable place in the United States. Yeah, but those had no impact. No, it doesn't. Get <laughs> but it has an impact on the carbon size, and it has other impacts because they sell. Uh, you have to acquire additional square footage by buying uh, transferable development rights. Right. So that allows keeping open space and people recovering value from transferable development rights that people will buy because if the limit is like 5,000 square feet and you want 7,500, you gotta go up five of them. The wetland bank of home development. There you go. <laughs> okay, we're moving on. Christy. So when are we gonna see this again? Uh, 21st. Well, I don't know, I'd have to have okay. staff. I'm thinking 21. So we will have more information and we will make a decision Presumably. I wouldn't commit to that. <laughs> I'll commit to it. Fine. Hey, thank you. Um, we'll look forward to the conversation on the 21st. Um, no, this this is great. It, you know, it, it is a good conversation. We knew that this would be a lively one. Um, I did want to do maybe a time check at 745 and we do have a number of topics that we still wanted to get through. And I just want to make sure that we're good to continue to move forward. We, are can, good to we can blame Commissioner Corrigan and <laughs> Commissioner Benjamin. What? What happened? <laughs> chill I'm always hey. chill. <laughs> Carry on. We're on the number. We're on the secondary dwelling units. On now. secondary dwelling units, I'm going to pass it off to Riley to go through some of these next slides. Great. Thank you, Jessica. <laughs> Um, so the current code allows for a secondary dwelling unit of no more than 800 square feet on certain lots throughout the community engagement this fall um, and during the master plan process. There was indicated a level of interest from the public in increasing the size of secondary dwelling units. Um, the proposed code would create a tiered size for all SDUs, allowing up to 850 square feet for a unit with one bedroom and up to a thousand square feet for two or more bedrooms. The existing separation requirements um, ensure that the unit is actually located near the primary house and that would remain in place. 
And we are also looking and proposing um, minimum overall lot size of five acres to be required for a parcel with a septic system. But that already exists, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. Is that okay with the commission? Yes. Is there any mechanisms where topography would limit the distance requirement or interfere with the distance requirement that would allow for some movement in that distance requirement? Uh, yeah, the, there's currently, you could go to the BOA and request a variance to that. The BOA um, is still our only variance option that we have. For okay. the distance, yes. Thank you. And we're talking 150 square feet addition. That's all we're kind of talking about. No, uh, 50 for a one bedroom and then uh, 200 for two bedrooms. Well, not quite though, because the reason it's 850 is because currently we measure, um, we call it habitable space and it's defined in the document. Hopefully it will be defined in the new code. Um, but it currently excludes the thickness of the interior walls, which is absolutely maddening to actually measure because you have to click about 75 times to go around all the interior right. walls. And in theory, <laughs> if someone gets to 799.99 square feet, they would theoretically not be allowed to demolish an interior wall to make the space bigger because now they're over 800. That's insane. And the if we were to increase it to say a thousand square feet, now we might even be clicking another 75 times for the additional <coughs> that we have to go around with the closet and whatever other space. So the 850 would just be to change the measurement to go from just the perimeter of the exterior walls on the inside face of them and make that calculation way simpler. And then the thousand square feet, which would also be measured. Separately. I'm sorry, change to the interior or the exterior? The interior. Like interior. the interior face of interior the exterior perimeters. Mm -hmm. Yes. Excluding all the other things like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. clauses, sterile. It's just those interior wall thicknesses. And if you keep painting the walls, eventually you'll gain even more square footage. <laughs> so wow. that's where that 50 square feet. So that's where the 50 comes from, from the 800 to 850. And that gives you context as to whether you think a thousand is appropriate or not, or if you don't like the idea at all. I think the juice is not worth the squeeze on this one. Comments? My sense is move on. It's fine. Sorry? I don't think it's fine. I like it before. I don't, I mean, I don't, I, when I say the juice is not worth the squeeze, I, I don't understand what we're doing here. Why we are, what is the problem that we are solving by allowing for a secondary dwelling to be larger? I, I think one of, the, one of the things is potentially you might see more of them because I think that 800 wow. square feet is pretty small. A lot of people probably make the choice. It's just not worth it especially with today's building costs, to build such a small thing. So you can make an argument that by going to a thousand square feet, you might see some more of them, which could help a the little bit around the edges of housing. We had some outreach too at the um, one of the public events where people were open to it, but they were also concerned that people would create these very large guest houses. Like if it's like say, because I think the question we asked them was like, what if it's 1200 square feet? Some people were like, no, that seems too big. Especially if it's a one bedroom, that's just a really luxurious guest house. Yeah. And so 
a lot of, so we asked um, in the survey whether or not it should be tied to, you know, maybe you get an extra 200 square feet, but you have to provide another bedroom. And that's where that question comes from. And that got the most support in the survey. Do you think it's good policy, Michael? I thought it might make sense to, to incentivize additional bedrooms if you get to give them more square footage, if that's what they want. Um, the logic behind it um, would be um, what it, like, you know, what, what is a secondary unit for? Is it for affordable housing? Is it for like an in-law suite? It, 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 people use secondary units for different things. Um, if the question is, what do we want people to use them for? And even though obviously we can't tell them exactly who needs to be in, in that smaller unit, if we wanna give someone an additional square footage, do we want to, and if we do, what do we want to incentivize? Do we want to incentivize more? I mean, isn't, isn't that just, if you're saying it's for affordable housing, isn't that just increasing the density in the AF zone district? Yes, potentially. Yes. Yeah, th this came from um, back with the master plan um, through our technical working group, hearing from the housing authority, um, them suggesting what the county can do to help out with affordable housing. And they threw out the number of 1,200 square feet, which is for their number that they rely on for a two bedroom. The question is though, is density appropriate out in the county? And so we've always had this 800 and that's always stood strong. And we've had this question over the years and we have maintained that 800 square feet. Um, the other concern is that in some of these areas, you look at Phippsburg or Milner, they're smaller homes. It's essentially a de facto subdivision. You're putting another dwelling on a property on a smaller property. Um, however, it's just been something that continues to come up um, where people are always just trying to get more square footage and whether you, we maintain the 800 square feet or is there some reasonable allowance to consider a larger secondary dwelling unit. Um, you know, back when we were looking at the master plan and the survey, there was like 23% of <clears throat> people had stated that we should re keep it at the 800 square feet. And then the other percentage is were all, um, I think there was mainly strong support for um, allowing up to 1200 square feet on parcels that are 35 acres or larger. That was really where um, we landed on that. So if you were going to consider a larger secondary dwelling unit, it needs to be on a larger house size. And I believe the distance, Lot size. Lot pro size. the proximity requirement really evolved from that discussion of, well, if we're gonna have it, then we should promote, promote that development where everything stays kind of condensed into one area. The ranch compound feel, the ranch density. Compound. Right. That's where our distance <coughs> requirements really factored in. Yes. But really when the day is all been done with, the only thing we're really changing based on Michael's comments is the second bedroom. Right. If that's if that's what you would want to follow based on the survey stuff. Yeah, get 800 extra, to 850 is mechanical. You, yeah, yeah, that, that is mechanical. You get it, but you would be giving them an extra bedroom for that extra square footage if you want to do so. That becomes, I mean, again, someone can build one big bedroom in a walk-in closet and call it a second bedroom. Are we going to be in the enforcement arena in this? You know, I, I don't understand the parameters of number of bedrooms as I do just plain square footage. Right. So... Well, it's based more on the like if, it, if the definition of a bedroom, which is defined by building code. Um, it basically, obviously, we're not going to tell them that they must 
occupy both bedrooms with beds, but it puts that type of product on the market that currently we might not have. Some people say that they can't find housing that has enough bedrooms in a secondary unit size because they have a family of three and they can only find uh, one bedroom accessory units, for example. That's one person was saying that at, at the outreach. And just for context, the city's secondary dwelling unit max is 600. 650. 650 square feet. And we would be going to count the square footage the same way as they do. <laughs> and the scale of that within the context of a city's development seems appropriate. So bigger units on bigger property seems somewhat logical. Mm -hmm. What's the magic number again? That's a hard number to really. To me, I do think like the county has more uses of caretaker units too. Like, I mean, someone who has a big, uh, you know, area that they need to manage, they need help. And especially the people who have a lot of money and that kind of stuff, they don't want to give up their whole house, but they want, you know, someone to kind of take care of it. And so I think that is some what of an incentive to get some workforce housing or some affordable housing into the county where a lot of these areas are just going to be vacant or, uh, you know, ha have not that being able to be utilized. So and I think it could as help. As you said, it was one, one family or is it just one person caretaking? Yeah. And that's the difference right there. Like, and would you favor two, two something people, like this? a couple or, or someone with a kid? Would you favor something like this only on large parcels? Like, because keep like going in line with the city, the city has small lots, 650 is pretty small. Um, Steamboat 2 is not that different from the city. Maybe a thousand is too big, but maybe on a 35 acre, you'd want to give someone the ability to have an extra bedroom. It's a small enough incremental change that might be of some benefit. I think I'm okay with without this. being harmful. Yeah. Is that, are, are you saying that in response to the 35 acres for 1,000 or just in general? No, I just, no I'm, I'm kind of with Brad on this. I think let's just go to the 1,000 square feet and be good with it. Hey, Mike, if you guys want to support an extra requirement, fine. I don't care. Um, technically, one could do under the rules. This could be on a one acre lot, could it not? If it's got water and sewer, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, that's right. Always in water sewer. Okay. Because but even then, five. you may or may not be able to do it because the sewer supplier, water supplier, may not allow it. Sure. You still have to obtain a permit. Permit. Mm -hmm. In the end. And how does and you got to hit the water restrictions? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What's your pleasure, people? I mean, Sonia, does that cause you discomfort? That that minimal amount of change, or is it? I mean, it sounds like I'm in the minority. I just think this is a an effort that will not produce the results. I, I just don't think it's worth our well, time. Uh, and you could be right. The first place I rented in the county was a barn converted 750 square feet, barn two bedroom, room. one bath house. We had two people living in it and it provided two pe workers a place to live. So. The 850, yeah, you might not get a family of four, but we don't always need the family of four. We sometimes just need the one worker. Uh, it, again, I don't know that the change is gonna have a positive or a negative impact on whether or not people decide to build secondary units and whether or not they actually come onto the market as affordable housing. 
Uh, Sonia, are you saying we should open it up? For example, five to 35 remains at 800, 35 and above goes to 1200, and that's more juice in your squeeze scenario? Not really. I mean, I, I just, am, I guess what I'd say is having tracked the question of secondary dwellings in the county since the time that they were permitted to provide affordable housing, I'm going to tell you that I haven't seen any meaningful move on affordable housing in the county. I mean, so like, I think they're mostly we're, guests. Yeah, I would, exactly. I would say. I mean, if we're justifying this action, like, and, and changing code and taking time and having these discussions for these reasons, I'm just going to tell you that I don't believe it will result in, in any creation of affordable housing. I think it'll be, you know, in, in fact, potentially creating situations in which people start to do short-term rentals more frequently in the, either their home or the secondary even Don't though it's not legal. Mm -hmm. It's not legal, but I mean, guess what? It's happening. We've got some tools to put a stop to it. We sure do, but I'm just telling you, I, I think this is not worth our time. I think there are many things that we're doing that are worthwhile, but I think this one will not result in any... But is that the same as saying you're against it? Um, I mean, everybody else is not, so I can live with it and we can move okay. on. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next. The consensus is... 850 in the thousands, you better. Okay, great, thank you. Um, throughout the community engagement, our team heard that allowing affordable housing or workforce housing in targeted locations across the county was really important. And should um, the code update should allow for a more streamlined review. This was also identified through the master planning process the uses that are proposed to be allowed in most zone districts um, to encourage additional housing opportunity in the county. The housing authority boundaries currently only include areas immediately around Steamboat Springs. And as part of our kind of ongoing work with county staff, we met with um, staff in the housing authority back in October to really try and dig in and understand what potential there may be for the housing authority to assist in management of new deed restrictions in the county outside of its current boundaries. So based on this initial conversation, we believe that there's an opportunity to establish an IGA um, for the housing authority to support the management and enforcement of deed restrictions in the county. I'm totally confused by this. What are we talking about here? We're not talking about changing what's allowed in our various zone districts. We're not talking about allowing apartment buildings to be built in the AF district. What are we, what are we talking about here? And, and, and working with the housing authority doesn't seem like it should be a part of a, of a unified code. That's something we would work out if, after, if we decided we wanted deed restrictions. Somebody help me understand what we're doing. I have an example. Red Hawk Village, when we did Red Hawk, we offered four deed restricted houses. At the end of the day, we couldn't sell them. But one of the biggest issues with the county was who's going to be responsible for those deed restricted houses. We did not have an authority to do that. You mean but somebody to enforce the restrictions? Exactly. And so I think that's the question at hand. And we came up with that from Heritage Park when they were trying to re- uh, do their PUD on there. And so I know planning commission had a pretty in-depth conversation if the developer was 
you know, looking at this and thinking of putting deed restrictions in if they would be amendable to it. And then we came to that dead, uh, dead end that we couldn't do anything with. Well, let me go back to Tim's comment. I, uh, I appreciate there's a lot of things of that nature that need to be addressed. I just don't know if this is the right forum to address. It. We, if we want to talk about doing something to expand the enforcement provisions of the housing authority, the commissioner should be doing that with the housing authority. The planning commission can comment on it, but I don't think the document that we're dealing with now is the right place to do it. Is that right, Tim? Yeah, I, I guess, yeah. Yeah, um, so this was a conversation we had with Jason Beasley from the housing authority, part of our technical working group and understanding that um, their district boundaries do not extend to some of the areas that are a targeted growth area. So it was a conversation whether or not they'd be interested in um, uh, working with us and through, it would be through um, uh, deed restrictions and um, Basically, they would be the managing partner for us, but it would be a conversation, a framework we would have to explore further with them. Um, and that's where this question is coming from, if there is an appetite for that. So are we talking about like deed restrictions on like single family homes or, or as Tim said, like multifamily, what do you, what's Like the... multifamily projects. <clears throat> What about yeah. something like tailwind? Uh, yeah, that's a, that, that's a great example. That's that's multi okay. yeah. yep. that's the but the question is, does it really belong here? No, that's the core question. Is Does it belong in what we're doing now? should be addressed as a separate issue. That, maybe that's how you offset if you don't have open space. Right. Is you offset with workforce housing yeah. and you want the ability for somebody to manage it. Because <clears throat> county doesn't well, if the county is going to enforce deed restrictions, then the county has to figure out how to go about it. Right. So it goes and back we'll to go hire somebody to do it. Let the county and, and, and the housing authority or whatever agency determine how they're going to enforce it. Then it becomes an available option in the circumstance that you just described. Right. Yeah. But you you might need something within your code that keys the developer that this is another way to go to get off-site impacts or however you want to phrase mm -hmm. it. That. You mean community benefits? Yeah, community benefits. Yeah. Sorry, community benefits. Really but a, a separate issue from the nuts and bolts of right. enforcing deed restrictions. restrictions yeah. well, Are we missing something, Christy? Well, the, the question really is so, like, we're anticipating, we're thinking about providing a more streamlined review process for specifically workforce housing. But in exchange for that streamlined review process, there needs to be some type of mechanism to ensure that it is staying workforce housing. And the only way to do that is to either hire more staff to enforce that deed restriction or partner with the housing authority for them to manage that deed restriction. And so I guess really the question is, are you in support of providing a more streamlined review process for for workforce housing? And if the answer to that is yes, then staff would continue to explore options on how to ensure that that project approved through that streamlined process stays what it was approved as workforce housing. But the, the question in front of us is- I realize should, that. Should the staff yeah. work with the housing authority 
on managing their deed restrictions. So I guess that's if, fine for the staff to do. We're <laughs> not in a position to put that in the code. So it's not germane to what we're doing right now. That's the view I've got. I guess to to phrase it another way, if you're not in support of putting in a deed restriction framework, then staff probably is not going to continue exploring this streamlined workforce housing review process. So then the question is, are we in favor of a streamlined I think process that's for affordable yeah. housing? I think really that's the question. Housing. But then the bigger question is, do we know what that even looks like? Uh, no, not right now. <laughs> So, if but we're conceptually, but see if we're conceptually in favor of it, we can ask the staff to, to the authority yeah. to work on it and bring it back to us. Well, I would like to, I would like to see what streamlined workforce housing process looks like. Looks like. Right. Yeah. So they have to go. They have to go oh, yeah. back and tell. Them. Yeah. Okay. So, so you want more information on that? I think so. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Sure. So be in the zone districts. Okay. Makes sense. Right. It couldn't just be all. Yeah. I don't know. All right, Riley. So we're going to come back with um, follow-ups for that. Um, I'm going to move us to our lodge uses next. Um, there are three specific areas that we wanted to highlight and get your feedback on. Um, the first, which I mentioned when we were talking about zoning, is that um, we would anticipate including hotel and lodging uses as a conditional use in the Hayden area. So I want to make sure you're comfortable with that. Um, the second are changes to the bed and breakfast requirements. Uh, that would include requirements that a B&B actually serve breakfast um, and also have an on-site manager. Um, we did want to highlight that the addition of uh, cooking service would require an upgrade to a commercial well for B&Bs that are not currently on a commercial well. Um, as mentioned in the memo, the option to have prepackaged food could be a way to get around this impact, but we wanted to highlight it and see if you agree with the direction on um, serving breakfast. And then finally, um, unless we hear otherwise tonight, uh, based on direction from the master plan, short-term rentals would continue to be prohibited countywide. Um, so happy to get feedback on all three of these issues, but the um, three questions that were in your packet are specific to those B&B &B uh, questions um, and are on the screen. Eight B&Bs are dead. I don't think we've seen one in at least 10 years. Well, oh, but it was like a technical way of getting around a short-term rental. To have that's a short -term that's rental. the concern and why we're specifically talking about serving breakfast. breakfast. Yeah. And so I think having that. I, it, and you have to have the on-site manager. And, and the, the on-site -site manager, manager, I agree with yes. 100%. And as, as far as having them be separate, I've been to B&Bs where the, the main structure was for guests and there was a separate small structure within a certain distance. So I think that makes sense from a development standpoint. It's like a centralized kitchen type of deal. Everything was there. The people just didn't have to live in the same house. They had their own little separate house. It but, was they had a, but it had an on-site manager. They, you have to have an on-site manager. That was our one sticking point with the B&B, &B, why it's different from an STR. That would not because be, it has a full-time on-site manager. That would not be a change currently um, with question nine. So the rooms, for the bed and breakfast would be in the primary dwelling unit as the code currently says, but the 
current code actually does not say that the on-site manager must live in that same building. They must be on-site. Gotcha. So the question nine is asking is, should it be more permissive to allow them to go in some other building on-site for the B&B rooms themselves or, or not? Your B&B was the Windermere concept where you have one kitchen and public space and then outlying bedrooms. I guess if you're talking about the truest form of a bed and breakfast that's all contained within one structure, yeah. is it detrimental to have it split apart? I don't I don't think so. Well, the question gets to be at what point in time does, does it no longer be, become a B&B and not as a hotel? Right. Well, and that's where I think it can't be more than four rooms. I mean, you can't have more than four bedrooms in a B&B. Otherwise, you call it a hotel. Unless I mean, you have a 17,000 square foot home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can build one in this Go right ahead, Linda. The hotel don't question outside of Hayden, I don't, again, this is where it puts us in conflict with Hayden and their processes. I don't know that we should be delving into a separate proposal outside of what is allowable in town. Well, I wasn't really even sure what that meant. Well, I think it has to do with the area around the airport. Yes. Uh, but that is which is the a, town of Hayden. No, 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 some of it is. Their right? three mile plan extends outside of their boundaries. Right, they right, have yeah. identified appropriate land uses in that area. And the area, I mean, it's the airport that's in the town of Hayden, plus that piece that just got annexed. There's a lot of land that's within that three mile boundary um that is in the county that's that, really close to the airport that the town has said we would like to see these other types what of we're proposing aligns with all of the municipal plans because we have discussed these um concepts with each and every one of them and they're in their community plans hotel but casino. what about the services for a hotel i mean you know the water the sewer yeah you know. have to annex to yeah. get to get the services from the city right thanks sir so then, so then it would eventually just be in Hayden. If it, if it has one fifth contiguity, one six, yes, one and six. they would have to. Uh, they've got an act of annexation plan in that. So okay. I think that language should be just tied to bringing it into to the town of Hayden. Okay, they're not going to. They're not going to extend their utilities if they're not annexing one of that areas. If you and they're going to. They're going to want the tax. That comes yeah. from that too. Okay. So, so the answer to that is, I don't know. I'm confused. So, where are we at? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to question eight. Yeah. That's what I just thought. Yeah. With, with a little trip through hotel. Well, yes, that was the first the thing that was discussed was the hotel, and then we went into yes. So. Breakfast. Yes. yes. Breakfast. We agree yes. that breakfast needs breakfast to be served in a bed and breakfast. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So, so I just, I just want to make sure y'all understand the implications of requiring them to serve a hot breakfast. That would require them to get a commercial, commercial well yeah. permit, right. which will require an augmentation plan. Yep. Most people that are thinking about doing a bed and breakfast. When they see what's required to do an augmentation plan, they will most likely walk away from the project. Well, wait a minute. But they nobody can, said they it can was also, easy. I mean, if they're in the odd plan area for the upper Yampa, they can just spend $200. Yeah. But by yeah. water Unless you have to go coach. to water court. And yeah. Get, uh, no, no, uh, no. Upper no. Yampa has a, a blanket augmentation plan that people can purchase into if they're within the service territory. 
and, okay. and many, many, many parts of Route County are in the service district. Places okay. like South Route are kind of not, but yeah, I mean, there are strategy. portions is, of South Route. Is that Hayden are. in the augmentation plan? Areas around yes. Hayden? We are yes. So yes. some additional context on this. Oh, that's right. People are, people are getting B and B permits because they can't do STRs, and they're saying, "Well, I do live there, so I might as well rent out rooms." That is part of why this question is being asked. <coughs> and it's all the more reason to require breakfast. Yes. It it makes the distinction between a traditional STR that we don't allow and a bed and breakfast more distinct. Right. So right. That's the, the thought. It's like if you're going to get into it, you're going to be into it. Right. There's a cost to doing that. Um, commercial operation. I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, yeah. I have no problem. Um, do you need, when you say separate building, do we have to have a distance issue? As of right now, to be a B&B, the units that people are staying in have to be within the primary structure, an integral part of the bed and breakfast. Um, so the question is, and we've been asked that some people may have a unit above their garage or, right. you know, um, on the property, but they still live there that they would like to become a and b So that is the basis for that question. So now you can build your thousand square foot residence and move over to it and rent your house as a, as a b and Yep. Yep. I mean, yep. Doesn't that feel just a little bit counter to the idea of no short-term rentals in the county? Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Other than the <laughs> fact that they're living, like, if they're living there, if they're actually living there, because the biggest thing, with short-term rentals in that long discussion, I think was the lack of on-site, someone being truly on-site in a lot of the problems. But it's also the traffic and the-, and the Lots of things yeah. went into that conversation, but I just remember the, the on-site component of a bed and breakfast being one of the benefits for that particular type of operation is that problems are dealt with immediately versus bringing the sheriffs in and all the other steps that have to occur. Yeah. So, so Sonia, are you saying you'd prefer it to get even stricter and that the on-site manager must also be in that primary dwelling unit? I mean, that's the current code, correct? No, they, the, the units, well, the rooms themselves that are being rented must be in the primary unit. The on-site manager could live in a trailer out back if that was, a, if that was their secondary unit. Mm -hmm. Under the current. Yes, because they it's I thought you said the current didn't require an on site manager. No, no it, it does. does. It does. But it's the term is on site, not in not in main unit. It's it's the question. Do does a bread and breakfast have to remain true to its archetypal foundations as a bed and breakfast, or can there be a different concept where there's again a, a community kitchen gathering space with separate smaller units? similar to what Windwalker did. Mm -mm. I don't know if I don't know if saying stringent to what a bed and breakfast is is critical. I, I don't I don't know if everything has to be in just one unit <coughs> to still truly to be defined as a bed and back to distance. So if it's a mile away. I would support it with I would I would be against it, let's say, and let's keep it true unless we had some type of distance requirement put in hundred feet. All units must be within a hundred feet of the primary units, or whatever it is, and then I could Wait, see. Why would it be any different than the than the than the SDU requirements for this? Yeah, I I don't think it should be. I'm just I'm just saying I think 
There should be a right, because there should be a distance oh, requirement okay. attached to it if we decide to go south. Planning wouldn't sign off on a building permit for a structure that didn't meet the. I mean, if it's a habitable space, it's going to need to be a, a secondary dwelling unit. And so then those yeah, yeah. proximity restrictions mm -hmm. no, have to rely on us. I'm okay with someone proposing a different concept for a bed and breakfast. That's not the Victorian house from 1925. Well, that's the key questions. Yeah, it is. So one of the key questions... Are we, or do we agree that we should require them to show reference? Yeah, we're done with that one. That, that was consensus. Done. Nine, should they be allowed to be in a separate building? And I think if you're following the separation of the SDU, <coughs> it sounds like there was reasonable consensus on that. Yeah, we agree. Yeah. That one's okay. Is that a, is that a offsite is okay consensus? No, not, no, not offsite. Offsite. Not offsite. Detached. 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 Detached is okay. Yep. Yeah. But and, and following requirements. the separation of the SDUs. But with then, following it, all you have to do is add the word on site. On the answer is no. I don't think so. Yes, yes, no. No. So, yes, yes, no. Wait, wait, wait. Is there not consensus? Well, 10 uh, no, is number 10. 10. No. They were saying no to number 10. Number yeah. 10. Oh, no, to number 10. Yeah. Okay. So, it's eight yes, nine yes, 10 no. Correct. Just to be consistent. I don't understand Four why. Is arbitrary. I stayed in the six room bed and breakfast. I don't know. Is 20 rooms too much? Yes. yes. Is 10 too much? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I think everybody just said five was too much. Let's try to score nine. We gotta hang on to the important stuff and keep moving through this. It's not all that important. Yes, yes, and a no, right? Yeah. I'm gonna move us on. Thank you. Thanks, Jessica. Okay. Um, we have two more sections. I I do want to request. It just says we're not gonna allow short-term rentals. At what point do we get to structure the language that says what is short term and what is a rental so that we don't have the game being played of, oh, I'm only renting my house. Well, don't you worry. Oh, wait, Staff in the attorney's office is currently hard at work at that. Okay, then we don't you. have to address it tonight. I'm so <laughs> glad to hear that because, damn, it's just a game. <laughs> Okay, um, so we have two more topics. Uh, first is on uh, camping uses. Uh, we wanted to bring this um, this to you. Um, there are some existing standards within the code related to camping and those would be brought forward. Um, we are proposing to create um, what we hope are clearer definitions around uh, camping use thresholds and, and when certain things are required. So private camping um, on your property would continue to be allowed. It's limited to um, use by the property owner, and there are some um, number of day limitations um, currently in the code that would be brought forward. Commercial camping is then divided into three different definitions, small, medium, and large. Um, so you can see those um, kind of high-level uh, pieces on the screen here. Um, as the number of camping spaces increases, the impacts to the community, to the environment increase. And so therefore that level of review and the requirements would increase. So small commercial camping of just one to two spaces um, would be an administrative review. Um, medium commercial campground, three to five, would um, have a 
conditional use permit review and be required to have some facilities. And then the large campgrounds, six or more spaces would be a special use uh, permit. So our questions for um, you are, um, firstly, is, should there be an allowance uh, to camp during construction of your house or as a result of an emergency? So that's maybe a, a, a caveat that could be included in that private camping definition. And then secondly, do you agree with the proposed thresholds of that small, medium and large uh, commercial campgrounds? So what we have now, anybody that wants to do any kind of a commercial campground has to go through an SVP like Soaring Eagle, right? So you're looking for these new, two new allowances for small and medium. Large commercial campground, that we have a permitting process. It's essentially the same process. Yeah. Would, would they need it for the, if they um, allow, if they have showers and toilets and stuff like that, would you need a special? That's, that's what Commissioner Gordon Can, can she about. bring the screen back up the one previous? Yes. I want, what's the difference between medium and large? Because Size. Sarah raised the issue. Size. The large commercial. Five. I saw that, but there was nothing else. The large, um, the large commercial campground standards that we have are so strict that, in some ways, they might create more impacts. Like they require an eight-foot fence around the entire campsite, and a bunch of other hookups for like large RVs and things. And that might actually be more than you would need for a three to five space campground that might actually be oh. less impactful if it has more minimal It was designed for stuff. like a KOA. Yeah, we don't need right. KOA Dumping standards station, potentially. Everything that goes along with it. However, we've been approached several times and there was an application planning commission <coughs> heard recently, which Down was south. essentially dry camping and it right, was seasonal. Right. And it was just, yeah, and it was right. just for tents. Right. Um, and it and was processed that. outside of the camping SUP because it couldn't meet the standards. That would so, fall into the small? Yes. That one? Because currently, if you're a camping <coughs> is defined as three or more commercial, and then there's obviously private, which is what the code currently says. So what do you do if you're a one to two person commercial? There's no category for you, which is one of the reasons putting that in the definition was not a good idea. Um, but then if you are to put standards for it, how like how do you we had to process that as a rec center right yeah yeah so how did you approve the the dry campground outside of as, as a rec rec facility as what a rec facility with overnight accommodations so why do we feel like we need to change our current i feel like the definition really uh, wasn't appropriate in my opinion i mean but the primary use 10 10 spaces right or something it, um uh, it was five or six i thought it was eight. less than 10. i was gonna say eight yeah but but in that definition and what it was um uh intended for that land use category where the primary use is not the uh, the overnight accommodations shouldn't be the primary use which it was for that Right. It also so, potentially puts us in a position where the county is less protected because we're it, that use is not set up to review campgrounds. So it might end up with very inconsistent applications of standards and inconsistent approvals between such uses. Yeah. Sure. So if you're looking at these, private camping is already on the books. We have that already, and we already have large camping, uh, large camping through an SUP process. So really, what we're looking for is this in between. And we have received um, 
public input for um, these two categories. Um, some, I think one and two spaces actually are used by right. Um, however, we feel there needs to be some level of review for that. Um, so we're proposing it as a small commercial campground as an administrative review. People would get public notice and that would be reviewed internally by staff reviewing offsite impacts. So if I have a house in Pittsburgh, I could start, I could start charging for two campsites <laughs> on my lot next to my house in Pittsburgh? Only if you owned your uh, grand uh, castle in Peaburg, you know, and had the land yeah, to do it. I, I, well, you'd also have to be an AF zone. No, this is in the AF zone. Yeah, this is only allowed in the AF zone. All of it. Yeah. So the answer would be no. But on your property, outside of Yampa, you could. Yeah, I think it's a problem. Yeah. I really think it's a problem. I think if it if this framework works best for you guys and it's what you're proposing, I'm willing to support you and go forward. With yeah. We're proposing this because this is what we've heard from the community. Mm. Um, and so I don't think it's something that um, we're absolutely proposing and in support of all of these categories, but there should be some consideration for the middle of the road. You like could it. just also say no. I don't like it either. Well, wasn't there some issues with people camping on their land up at Steamboat Lake? Yes. We oh, get that all the time. Lake. Yeah. And, and that's not allowed as per zoning anyway. And, you know, areas of Steamboat Lake and Stagecoach, the HOA doesn't even allow it. Um, not to mention they're not zoned AF, so you can't do that anyway. But yes, it is a problem and we do deal with it. And as you know, there's also hip camp out there now. Um, so this is happening out there, um, and so this is why we need to have this discussion. So I'm, I'm personalizing this. My next-door neighbor, I have a 35-acre parcel. My next-door neighbor has a 35-acre parcel, and he can just come in and get a permit, an administrative permit, and there's two campsites right on the border of my property. I'm not too happy about that. They would have to have some sort of actual facilities created is no, what's that's, that's not the nature of living in, in the rural part of the county we're talking about a commercial activity on rural properties it's like why what what what's the motive for doing this because people are asking for it is what she's saying i mean i personally think that really truly these types of things should be driven by the vision that we have for the county and the vision not, for the county is not, not what people <coughs> are asking to be permitted to do necessarily say that again i mean these things appear to have come up because they are getting requests from people to do this type of activity and also this activity is actually happening also anyway so that's where this is coming from according to what christy is yes. saying yes. not like she's saying we think this is the best thing for the county necessarily and so that my question is are we are, are are we interested in responding to requests from the public for things that we think are inconsistent? Or with are vision? we giving you tools to manage a problem that you have? I mean, if I hear you right, it's, this is happening. <laughs> You're saying this is happening I mean, already, and we should get blackmailed into approving it? No, no, oh, no. Oh. What I'm saying is that I think that we are not going about this correctly by having these definitions driven by what people, certain uh, handful of people are demanding. Thank you. Because ultimately the master plan, this is not consistent. I mean, your neighbor popping up your two, two pedestals 
And having, you know, somebody with a generator in an RV next to your property line is not okay for me. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Are you saying we didn't get enough data in the survey? <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't come from a survey. This comes from a handful or less of people who want to have commercial activity on properties that are not uh, presently allowed to have that type of activity. So are I we mean, just talking about small commercial or are we talking about the medium I mean, commercial as well? I would say, so private camping and large commercial are already yes. in our regulations, right? Medium would allow for the dry camping situation um, that you considered, and that would require CUP, where dumping facilities may be required. We're not saying it has to be three to five spaces. That's something we can really get into the detail. This is just to give you an example. Small commercial camping would be something that is, you know, definitely being requested by uh, the public. So here's what I think. I think <laughs> you're going to tell us what you think. Yeah, damn right. <laughs> I, <am. laughs> uh, I think any of these, I mean, any kind of commercial campground needs to go through an SUP process. If you would like to find ways to provide more flexibility within an SUP process, yep. that's fine. Okay. But the county commissioners ultimately have to be able to answer to the people in this community when they approve this kind of activity. Yeah. There needs to be a public hearing. There needs to be public comment. Yeah. And there cannot be a situation where there any kind of an administrative permit. And, and, and I'm not even that, comfortable And if there's with support for that, we can do private areas. camping and large camping, and we can work with the standards that it doesn't always require dumping facilities based on the application. Right? There you go. Okay. Can we address this one first at the next meeting? Which one? This camping, this camping issue. Can we talk about that first at our next review of these things? So are you suggesting we defer? Uh, no, I'm just saying I'm fried, frankly, and I, I just am not 100% sure that, I, I mean, I really very much dislike this and I'm not sure that I'm fully getting the picture. Gotcha. So I just would rather us address this first so that we're not all burned out and kind of not quite Why don't we just take the position we're discussing and touching on these and we're not reaching a consensus? Right. Let's right. do that. I like it. That like you? That's fine. Yeah. Because like we're going to get a number of Yep. Mm -hmm. More than one, I'm sure. Right. So okay. we can put, put this first. Yep. Okay. Um, the last piece uh, that we had was uh, related to public and private uh, commercial businesses. Um, this was something that came up in community engagement and um, the group talked about it when we met with you in the in the late summer. Um, but given some of the conversation that we've heard, we wanted to, um, as we move into actually writing this language, we just want to make sure that we are um, moving forward with the direction from county commissioners and the planning commission. Um, so right now within the code, um, there is not a distinction between a public commercial operation versus a private commercial operation. Um, some communities do um, include different definitions for public versus private, and that difference is related to um, how the general public, the general community is able to access those spaces, whether they are able to go in and um, partake in the restaurant or the um, the retail experience, or if they have to um, buy a membership. Um, and so we are um, wanting to just raise this, make sure we are clear on your direction 
um, do you want essentially a, a specific definition related to private clubs or private commercial uses and have different uh, allowances and limitations for that versus things that are publicly accessible? Yes. Different definitions, absolutely. How do you tell a private enterprise that he's gonna be open to the public? So it's membership. Yeah, membership. Yeah. You should, if you get to the door and it says members only, then you can't go in. Right. Yeah. Unless you're like right. right. Don't we know that already? I guess we don't have that definition in the code. We don't. We don't. So it's defined in the code. That was, oh, see. That's, that's yeah, that's, that's the question. question. <laughs> so, the so yes that's, that's the answer is yes <laughs> but it, yeah but yeah, it's, it's a fine. limitation well the, the, she the didn't question. ask the question that way she asked if we wanted and, to have different definitions for private and public and the the reason i i ask it that way is you know want to understand do you do you want to differentiate and then if you do that would be different those would be different sections within the use table. And so should there be a limitation on the private commercial or would that be allowed anywhere that a public commercial use is allowed? Um, so we do wanna dig into the question that is on the screen as well. Is there, is there a problem with it now that we do have to be concerned about limiting? Or is it anticipating a, Are we anticipating? a question that's coming <laughs> in the future? <laughs> I, this seems anticipatory. Well, the people moving out of big so houses are gonna want a club to go to. That's I, right. I, mean, I speak English. Come on in with your 20,000 square foot house. <laughs> and, a, and a ski lift. Private trails and Christy, do you remember I mean, how this came about out? His definition. What's that? Where where was this? How was this generated as part of the master plan process? Um, I remember some discussion about Windwalker. Yeah, but I, I don't know if that was the that was part of it. Um, a lot of it um, stemmed from that comes back to community character um, and some of our larger subdivisions that we have out there that um, are gated and um, and then have private amenities like Maribu. And uh, Maribu, AMR, Catamount. Right. Um, and then there are certain uses also. So it goes to another level of like some of the private golf courses, as you point out, Windwalker. Um, and we heard a lot of feedback about um, how that's not really inviting and supporting our um, community character. So this has come up through the master plan. It has come up through our technical working group as something we should explore. We did, as a reminder, tap into this one of, during our last joint meeting, um, but we weren't very clear. I think some of you were a little more vocal than others. Um, and so we were not clear on drafting um, and where we should go with this. So we are bringing it back to you tonight. I think limitations might have some attorney implications that would need to be answered. 
Well, we Let's set that aside and decide whether or not we want to do it in the first place. Yeah, yeah. And like, then the, we, we can have it reviewed. Well, the legal, whether you want to do it, the legal implications should definitely have a I know, an impact on if it. If we decide we don't want to do it, then we don't have to do it. I think it's worth having a conversation around. I mean, I think we need to really be seriously, you know, I guess my feeling on it is the first question is about should we have separate definitions? And that seems like an easy answer if we don't have right. anything defined in the code already, right? Then, I mean, assuming that we have these separate definitions, I mean, what are the definitions? Are they going to drive what is able to be permitted anyway? I mean, I don't know that I can answer. I mean, I think you have to be pretty extreme on one end of the spectrum or the other on this issue to answer yes or no without more information. That's my feeling. Well, isn't it really a property race issue when it's all been done with? No. You don't think so? No, absolutely not. Why? Because, I mean, it's the same thing that we we're talking, it's, it's zoning. I mean, basically we're talking about creating a situation where, you know, can you put a safe way, you know, in the middle of unincorporated route? I don't know. Our zoning doesn't permit that. Is that, is that a private property rights issue? I don't think so. I, that's a public right. Well, yeah. I mean, so, you know, it basically it's, it's simple zoning. I mean, let's just say that, well, I mean, I, I don't even want to. So let's go back to Windwalker for a second. When Windwalker came forward, it was a you know long and arduous process. Could we have within our existing regulations made a requirement for public access, or were, were our hands tied at that time? I mean, we didn't have anything on the books. Okay. You know, even even a definition. I guess feasibly you could, but I don't know what you would base that on. You would you would require them to offer a, a membership, but then they could make the membership unaffordable. That was we had this discussion last time, and Windwalker actually flew through. That wasn't a really yeah, super contentious. Yeah. Well, there was water body setback issues, yeah. um, environmental issues. I was queasy about that thing all the way through. And then that's kind of why this kind of thing is. As the only person who voted no against it. God bless you, Andy. I <laughs> was very. <laughs> but I, I voted yes mess. for their water body set. They, they went through the process. They did everything appropriately. My only uneasiness was the way they presented their project. I was confused during the whole thing. So I thought they actually had an easy process. They came back in front of us because they built a basketball court. No, went, the bridge. No, the, no, basketball court. They built, a, they built a basketball court that was not included yeah. on their plan and they amended their plan. There was a process again to, to solve this. So were you on easy, Andy, with the concept that that was a private club? That no, okay. I didn't, they did not present it as a private club. When they came well, and made their, they didn't yeah, they did. They presented it as it was a, it was a family held corporation with yep. limited stock, and that was it. That right. they didn't even say that. That took digging. They presented it as a place for their friends and family to come and visit, and oh. that's the the old granddad stood up and said, "This is what I want." And I'm like, "Why are you asking us to do what you can already do?" Other than the fact that their concept for their living quarters was different than what any of us One had ever encountered, houses, but yeah. who cares? It was the way they presented it. I have no problem with a private club. I, I don't know how you restrict that in the context of character. If it's done right, how does it, how does it impact character? 
Well, this is why I am saying that I think we should defer on the question of whether or not to limit them based on what we see as the code language. The definition. The definition, because right. what does it actually mean? I mean, what are we actually talking about here when we talk about a private club? You know, what do they put into the language of the code? Um, you know, is it however many acres? What is the driving trigger that makes this different than something else? Because to me, you know, if that driving trigger is um, significant enough to create a situation in which they can be permitted in a way that does not impact community character, then we, we don't even need to have that conversation. But if that definition is like very loosey-goosey or not all that different than our, our current, you know, if it's not all that big of a difference, then we might need to talk about limiting because it could impact. Well, like character. the gated community conversation, you know, there's this feeling that these gated communities don't fit the character of route county and it's like when i go anywhere in agricultural route county it's no trespassing <laughs> violators will be shot yeah. this is everywhere the gate seems far less so, threatening. so a nicely designed gate has some definition and architectural appeal to it i'm not like doesn't make me unhappy um let me give you a little more context about where i'm coming from here um the route county commissioners have taken a tremendous amount of abuse from uh the public recently because of the fact that recreational activities are overrunning us in all reaches of our county in all ways. And so now do we want to just have some more serious conversations around recreation, around places where people are congregating and gathering and creating these big recreational facilities? Like, is that, we need to have this conversation. We need to have the conversation in the context of our public lands and our roadways we need to have the conversation in the context of what this does to our community character. I mean, am I wrong, Tim's? Like, we're we're getting a lot of. I think you're making a strong case that we're not going to be giving direction on this side of the county. Right, yeah. exactly right. Has the carrying capacity of the county been reached? The gates should be closed at west and east, and no more development. Well, that's not exactly the question I'm asking. No, but I'm taking it to the farthest yeah. extreme. I mean, I think the question is, you know, as we start to grow and expand in these areas, and just as the master plan has defined the places that are appropriate for growth or not, you know, what types of growth and how do we structure them in such a way so that we're not overrun? I mean, and if we can do that with the definition in the code, all great. And then no, no but need. To, but not tonight. Not tonight. Okay. My sense is we're done. <laughs> we'll do jurors. Second. Second. This one ought to be first. This one ought to be first. That's true. I agree. Let's start. Yeah. Let's reverse the order of all. I would agree with that too. Yeah. We yeah. can go back with the project team. We have a lot of marching orders. <laughs> uh, I would think Christy would be of assistance to all of us. I knew this was going to and help and take Sonia's comments. If you can frame some real questions and on questions, instances, circumstances where this comes into play, so that we get arms around it better. Because my head's kind of wandering. I hear what Sonia's saying, but I'm still. I yeah. can think of instances where where public, no, not necessarily, but private. You know, guest just by us, guest ranches that were in place got bought out. Now they're private. Quiet. Nobody does that anymore. I think so. Now we go in the other direction. How about right. a private snowmobile club in North Route? I bet they'd love that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they would. 
I but think I don't know where they're going to run. That's right. I think the fundamental question is: Can the general public access the business? Uh, That's what I thought use? the conversation was. Yeah, yeah, yeah I thought so. You know, agree. And on that agree. Like, that's where the definitions could be that that is a requirement. Yeah. And then, yeah. so we can go back with the project team yeah. and uh, have fun over the next two weeks before our next joint meeting. We get to do this again before the holidays. December 21st. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> um, I do think you've done a nice job at this point. Also, yeah. yes. Agreed. I said at the onset before we even convened. A lot of ground to cover tonight. Yeah. Yes. I don't think so. It's a big hill. It's a big hill. Thanks again, Planning Commission. You guys are awesome. Do great work. Really appreciate it. Do you? No, we do not. Okay. Thank you. So we have no meetings scheduled on our regular night on the 14th. Uh, but we do have another joint meeting scheduled Thank for you. the 21st. Same time, same place. Tuesday? With Different all day. of you beautiful no. people. Fewer questions. Fewer questions. Oh, there you go. Different food. <laughs> <laughs> the first is Thursday. The 21st. Thursday. Uh, Jessica and Riley. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thank you. They are best.